As far back as I could remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. Hello and welcome to the Last Jedi on the Left podcast. I am your host, Aaron, and for this episode, I'm joined by Adam. How are we doing? You all right? Yeah, good. Thank you very much. Um, so, yeah, we uh, it's a funny one, actually. So, we, we originally got in touch through our respective football clubs, didn't we? We did. We did. Who, uh, at the time, you know, they won't be when this recording goes out, but they were in the same league at the time. And, uh, and you know, we, I sort of... Uh, Chance for me to, I guess, promote the the website that, that I also work on with the uh, for the railway men that has been mentioned in previous episodes as well. So uh, people might be familiar, but yeah, and uh, and you're a uh, an Orient fan, aren't you? So yes, yes, hosted a lowdown podcast, uh, unofficial late and Orient podcast. Um, but uh, yeah, we we had a good season last year, and I, I, I'm thanking you for not having as good a season as us because now we've got Dan. Ag- Ag- Guy, I can't say his name, but you know, <laughs> Dan up front. Um, we're, we're looking a little bit more potent than we were last year. We won the league, so uh, yeah, looking forward to this season very much. Yeah, I'm sure. Well, now now you're not in the same league as us as well. I can say, you know, wish you all the best for next season though, for this season coming up. So yes, but um, we're not here to talk football. We're here to talk uh, screen films, which uh, kind of you know you mentioned to me that you were you're into your film, um, and you, you know. We, you're big into it and that these were the, the ones that you, you wanted to cover yeah I, I grew up um in the realms of bravo tv and and pretty poor movies on sky uh, i'm 42 now so um you know i grew up watching the evil dead evil dead 2 american wealth in london lots of different horror films so it's been a big part of who i am just through fun and I know that might sound a little bit psychopathic to some people, but it, it's not, it, you know, when you can decipher the line between entertainment and, and true horror, then it, it becomes quite enjoyable. And um, uh, yeah, Scream actually got me in, got me pushing towards a, a career that I never actually took up. I went into bars and hospitality, but um, I went to do film and media and video production because I've watched Scream at the cinema at least 17 18 times and that's at least how many ticket stubs i've still got so um it, it changed my life in certain ways good or bad which way you look at it that's um that's definitely an impressive amount as well i like the i like this sort of sort of like one of my favorite filmmakers is um is kevin smith and he always talks about that uh he went to see um slacker um, in the cinema and his his kind of takeaway from that was Oh, that's a film because I can do that, and I kind of like that. So, in a similar sort of way that you were like, I want to do that because of you know watching the film. Yeah, yeah. It's it. I grew up watching Nightmare on Elm Street, so it was Wes Craven. Um, he didn't have the greatest nineties uh, um, with with Vampire in Brooklyn being the Nadir, but you know his next film was Scream. So you know we're, we're here to talk about that series that obviously Kevin Williamson and, and Wes Craven had a massive impact on, and. Um, I'm actually looking forward to it because I'm not talking about work and I'm not talking about football. So <laughs> I'll really be disappointed by Scream. No, that's very true. Yeah. Um, so I, I guess, like you say, my so my sort of knowledge or my background on the Scream films were that I... So I'm, I'm probably, what am I, 10 years younger than you? So 
I was kind of aware of the films and that they were they were like the peak of this is the film you when you when I was in school they were the peak of the this is the film you need to see type and it would be the first two definitely possibly even the third one as well a little bit um so they were that was kind of my introduction it was like oh yeah you, you've got to try and like sneak and watch it because you weren't meant to be watching it you were a bit young for it and that kind of thing so um what what were your sort of Obviously, your re- initial sort of reaction to Scream was that, like we've just said there. But what are your uh, what was your feeling then around like the second and third one particularly? When they I still write this thing. I don't. I don't want to ruin your the rankings later. But we'll, we'll talk about Scream Two later. But um, Scream Three was very much the Return of the Jedi for me, um, and Scream Four is very much the Force Awakens. And we'll talk about those films as we come to them. But uh, um, I, you know, it was lots of things that I'm sure we're going to touch on that happened with Scream Three that really didn't define that movie as how it was spent, you know, originally supposed to come out. So um, I, it was fun, and you know, I'm, I'm getting that vibe back again. And even though they're not, the new films aren't the same in terms of the wink, wink, nudge, nudge kind of element to it it's a bit more copycat and they're trying to subvert the, their own film so becoming a, a mockery in a way of of what scream originally went out and set out to to kind of like um mock and 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 send love to because it's a love letter essentially um yeah it's uh it, it's fun again and you know there's not many horror movies that are fun and people might be thinking why are you saying horror movies are fun they've got to be fun you know, there was always the in the eighties. There was always this, the 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 jock, the nerd. Um, you know, as quoted by Casey Becker in the scene behind me. Um, you know, the, the big breasted girl. I'm oh, no, sorry, it was Sydney. So I've already got that wrong. So that's already going to start with you know the big breasted girl who always got you know running around. It's insulting, and you know it 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 was always those um, staples of of horror that made it fun you knew what you were gonna get you could go and watch a double bill or you could get three or four horror movies and sit around your friend's house and watch those and just be absolutely in awe of some of the awfulness but just love them all the same the lost boys is a massive film for me um it's humorous it has horror when i was young and i was young when i watched that there were parts of it that were scary for me um you know, and uh, the same with some other movies that came out. But uh, it all got a little bit too serious in in the 90s. And it was just, um, you know, it was good to see someone intelligently mock what I loved, but also revere it as well whilst they were doing it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm entirely in agreement with you because, you know, I, I sort of have... I have that conversation quite a lot. Uh, my wife is absolutely not a fan of horror films whatsoever. And I really do like watching them. Obviously, as you can tell, the, the name of the podcast, at least half of it comes from a, a Wes Craven film. So, uh, yeah. And it is that kind of, it's a, it's an odd sort of enjoyment that you do get out of them, but they are quite fun. And especially, especially like you say, the, uh, the 80s ones that you get a lot of. And then it does kind of feel like, this is where sort of returning returning everything to that kind of point. Um, and now I know, obviously, it's a funny one because obviously he's coming off the back of New Nightmare as well, 
which in a way you could be said that it's sort of doing the same thing that Scream does. It's definitely a proto-Scream movie. Yeah. Um, so maybe that was, like you say, a, a good way of describing it as a proto-Scream because it's he refines it a bit more when he comes to, to Scream in particular. And obviously that a lot of that comes from... I'm not. I mean, I don't know exactly the uh, how much of it belongs to each person, but I guess a lot of that comes from from the script as well. That was it was Kevin Williamson, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Yeah, yeah. So um, I guess we, we, okay, we can talk about the first one as such. Um, always, always kind of stands up as, as possibly even one of my favourite horror films. I think really, um, it's very uh, iconic. Right, say right from having that Hitchcock-esque starting where it's, you know, the the, the main lead if, if, that you think is going to be the main lead and then uh, Psycho-esque, you know, kills them off almost straight away. Um, what what are your, what's your thoughts on the, the first one in particular? Well, these these are the days when, you know, the, the, the web pages that we were using would take 15 minutes to load one photo. And you know MSN chat and uh, and that kind of stuff. Now, the the leaks that were around then were very rumor rumor esque as per per se. You you couldn't go onto Twitter and your film be ruined. So to walk into the cinema and look at a trailer for a film that was actually quite I wouldn't say bland, but it wasn't very restrictive what the movie was going to be. And then you go in and you watch it and watching E.T. as a youngster and Poison Ivy when I was getting into my teens and Drew Barrymore has been a bit of a seductress, um, to, to then watch that, the one person that I actually knew in the cast apart from the Fonz um, to, 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 to like be killed off straight away, spoiler for anyone listening, um, was really subversive and very against type. And um, a few films after that, tried their best to imitate that opening but um you know that that first 20 minutes was intense in the cinema and even now i watch it and there's elements of it where i'm still looking at every frame just like the one that just went past when she's hanging from the tree and you can actually get a lot of detail that you miss and it's played into a lot of the the feel like scream and scream uh six that's just come out there are parts of those movies that you don't actually realize are in scream until you start watching scream back so you know there are elements to the movies that are a lot more layered um and there's a lot more of a alterisk um view of those yeah i, I definitely agree like i said i mean i notice it particularly with the first one but it is kind of there's so many different moments that like you say that you don't pick up on necessarily in your first watch it's so uh packed with sort of details and stuff like that that it was clear I think it's clearly like a labour of love for for Craven as well at this point. Well, he, he didn't want to do it, and um, he'd already made the move towards other movies. He wanted to get into the studio system. Vampire in Brooklyn was supposed to be that that one, um, and New Nightmare was supposed to be the one where he kind of refreshed and sent away Freddy Krueger. Um, and he and he did it kind of after the first two screen films with music from the heart with Meryl Streep. So. He, he did make a few films that weren't typically schlocky or Wes Craven, early early kind of Wes Craven movies. Um, but it it really kind of, with what Wes Craven did with it, 
I think it invigorated him. Um, and the way that he went through four movies with that, he never really found his footing in another in another film that he did after that. You could name Cursed as one with uh, Christina Ritchie, which was cut to pieces by Miramax. Um, Music from the Heart was quite a bland, soap opera-esque, undangerous, dangerous mind. Um, you know, and you had another one, which was My Soul to Take, which has got better with time. At the time, it was pretty rubbish, but actually as an idea, it wasn't too bad. Um, but you could argue that his career kind of took off and finished with the Scream movies, um, which is sad in a way, because it would have been nice to have seen what happened with the second trilogy if it had been made as it was four, five, and six, instead of obviously six, five, six, and seven, as it's going to be potentially maybe maybe eight if they make the money on the, on the third one. But... Um, yeah, Craven is um, to see an evolution in a filmmaker is not uncommon, but to see the evolution from and I, you used Kevin Smith earlier uh, as an example to watch Clerks and then to go through to Clerks Two, just as yeah. a kind of you know a, you put the two films together, they've still got the humour, but the filmmaking's a lot better. And then he's obviously done films like Cop Out, which might have been a step too far, but. Um, Clerks 3, for me, and I know you would have seen it, wasn't as enjoyable and fanboy as Clerks 2, in my opinion. So I suppose, in a way, if I was looking at Clerks and Scream, I'd say Scream 3 is my Clerks 3, uh, and Scream 2 is my Clerks 2, and Clerks is my Scream, which is the OG, right? So that's the one that sets the rules. So... An interesting parallel. I don't reckon many people have made that, but I, I'm agreeing with you there. That's it's a it's a good one that you've made between the the two trilogies as such. Um, I've got to be honest. I so like I said, I rewatched, uh, I rewatched the first four in in preparation for this, and I think for me the particular standout that I'd, I'd never really appreciated before, but I had done on this one was. Um, was Matthew Lillard in this one? I think he's fantastic at what he's doing, like in this kind of, you know, zany sort of best friend, but then also the Joker. But then obviously, there's, there's the other side to it as well. I don't know why I'm tipped around it. Anybody who hasn't seen this by this point, they're probably not listening to this podcast anyway. <laughs> but um, but yeah, so sort of the, the reveal at the end, like you say, and everything that goes with that. I think he was the. The revelation, I think, for me on this this last rewatch, and and he still impacts and influences the scream canon as it is. People still use the scream as a you know Stu's alive hashtag numerous times when the film comes around. I'm not going to lie, I still think he's going to turn up in the seventh one um, because of what the original story for Scream Three was. And so when when you look at it. Um, as a performance, he was in Hackers, I believe, prior to that. Um, and he was in a film called Dead Man's Curve that was renamed in the UK after a while, I think, and I can't remember what it's called now, which was a darker version of um, the Weekend at Bernie's-esque uh, college horror comedy um, about having a dead flatmate or, or, or whatever. It was the rule that some, um, if your college flatmate died then you would get straight A's and pass your masters because you'd be too distraught and that was just the way it was so they came up with a 
uh, a ploy to to kill someone and then get the you know so that Dead Man's Curve was a pretty dark movie, um, but Matthew Lillard in Scream was humorous. Uh, he was clever. He was imposing. Um, he was a connection. He was kind of like he wasn't knowledgeable like Randy, um, and he wasn't knowledgeable but in the closet like um, Billy Loomis. Even people like Sydney and and Tatum made comments that were knowledgeable about horror movies. You know, that's I I called Stu being a killer from the beginning, um, and it was just purely because. I did. It was just a pure game. <laughs> there was nothing in it. Um, you know, you looked at Billy Loomis at the beginning of the film and you're just like, this guy's 30 playing a 16-year-old or 18-year-old, but, you know, we don't care. Um, and, you know, you got you got that rug pull later on. But Matthew Lillard, it was, it, he, he, was, um, he was excellent in it. And I don't think his career uh, really hasn't hit the heights that it potentially should have. Um, hopefully the next Five Nights at Freddy's that's coming out later in the year is going to give him a bit more exposure. Um, he was excellent in Good Girls, but in a very different character. Um, 13 Ghosts, he was excellent in that, but that was just the intelligent stew. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Matthew Lillard in this, I, I think that you have to say that he was probably, he was excellent. But the main standout players for me is probably third in the line. I think there was a couple of others that that were more impactful just through the through the years and the decades. Sure, um, I mean, who 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 would you say was your your MVP of the film? Then I think the MVP has to be Courtney Cox, um, just purely because she plays so against type. Um, she was known to many as obviously Monica Geller in Friends. Or, or He-Man Squeeze in the Masters of the Universe movie, or even the girl dancing in a Bruce Springsteen video. But, you know, she she really took the role and made it so anti what she was out there as that it surprised a lot of people. It was funny. The timing was brilliant. Of, of course, there would have been direction from Wes Craven. Um, but she was like the the older sister to the to the group and um and the guidance and the other one was sydney obviously sydney prescott neve campbell um she became an icon and you know there there was um there, you know you don't have many of those in horror you just have the final girl but she is a scream queen as as is jamie lee curtis you know so you, you don't get so many of them and so she's an icon so that there, there's different parts to it, all three of those but that would be doing a disservice to Jamie Kennedy who, who's fallen off the face of the planet and Skeet Ulrich who's done some brilliant work on TV um, and so I think it was uh, justified potentially he was in I'm not too sure but uh, you know the whole cast was excellent in this movie uh, and it obviously it links back to Me Too and Harvey Weinstein so there's so many levels and, and layers around the making of the film let alone the film that makes it quite an interesting thing to read about yeah, definitely. And uh, it's a funny one because obviously, like, um, Courtney Cox, like I said, was already Monica from Friends by this point. Um, but then it does feel like a lot of the other, or at least the main players anyway, kind of, they, they would have odd things that they would maybe go on to be known for as well. But they kind of 
most of it, most of the time, it just boiled back down to this film. So, like I say, we've been through Matthew Lillard, who I, I, probably people younger than us will likely know him as uh, he played Shaggy in the the live of action Scooby Doo films, and I think he also went on to point about Matthew Lillard, right? That that performance in the Scooby Doo films, if that was made in the right way, that would have been legendary. That would have been the golem of of children's entertainment. That performance, and it's still brilliant now watching it yeah it's, it's interesting as well because i believe he also like went on to to voice the character in the cartoons and everything for years afterwards so yeah. it was obviously something that he then became linked with um and then, and then you've got like niv campbell uh did like I, I mean i know her from like this and then wild things as well and Who then wild things no one forgets wild things. especially not Males of a certain age as well. <laughs> well, she was in the craft first, and that's that's the thing. She was in the craft in '95, so she'd already stepped into the kind of teen horror pantheon then with Farisia Balk and uh, Robin Sunny and yeah. Skeet Ulrich, who was in that movie. So, um, but again, I didn't even realise it was her when I watched Scream. I'd watched Craft and I loved it, and I had it on VHS because that's how long we're going back, but. Um, I, I didn't realise that she was in it, but now, like, obviously, you see Neve Campbell, you know it's Sydney Prescott. Yeah, um, I was going to say the other, the only other ones are like, say, Jamie Kennedy kind of dropped off the face of the earth. Seemingly, I think he did some very unsuccessful films, um, and then not a lot else from there. And then I guess the other one is like David Arquette. Now I know he has been in other things. Uh, but you, you try and think of it really, and like it's it's mostly going to be this. Or if you're a big wrestling fan, then he was in wrestling for a while, bizarrely. But um, but yeah, it's it's kind of not, not most most of them. Courtney Cox aside, never really quite reached this level again. No, I think David Arquette's one of the ones that disappointed me so much. Jamie Kennedy did the Son of the Mask, and everyone thought it was going to be the big thing, and obviously it was an absolute shambles of a movie. David Arquette did Eight-Legged Freaks, and if he'd have just carried on, I mean, Scotty Hansman's in that movie, there were some absolute A-list stars in Eight-Legged Freaks. And it was a, such a fun film to watch at the cinema, especially someone who's absolutely terrified of spiders. It was just a fun, exciting time to, to watch movies. And I wish he'd have gone down that path a lot more. He did, like you say, the wrestling movie, Ready to Rumble, and then obviously went into to not is it nitro or someone i know he won the world championship because there's a great documentary about him called you cannot kill david arquette which is brilliant um but uh yeah david arquette was my biggest disappointment because i just thought he was brilliant absolutely brilliant you know he, he obviously wasn't in my mind the best actor i'd ever seen i'd seen him in buffy the vampire slayer the josh whedon um movie in 92 um and he wasn't he was funny in that but again it was like being typecast a lot um he's been in the odd film i think he played the devil or a version of the devil in one movie i can't remember what it was called but just straight to video stuff you know um but you know again he's he was a clown wasn't he he wanted to be a clown so he became a clown so yeah yeah that was it largely that and it's one of them so i guess the other thing i i, I can't particularly go throughout all this without mentioning the uh, the wayans brothers scary movie film which i think i probably saw that around the same time as i was watching the screen films as well so it's always going to be linked for me in my head and especially because there's so many scenes from screen that obviously they're they're even played for laughs in screen but then they're just dialed up to 11 by the way well, brothers 
it came out the year of Scream 2 because Scream 2 came out in 97. So it was kind of such a a weird... It was it was like they knew what Scream was about before Scream came out. And someone's obviously seen it and gone, you know what, we can make some parodies and make some airplane kind of movies on it. And at the time, I thought it was a little bit silly. But then when I watched the rest of them, it made you know Scary Movie look like... Uh, a bit like what Scream was, you know? It was yeah, a, a yeah. Love, it was a love letter to to parody movies, but also to horror movies because there was other things in there. That the second one was quite funny with the haunting of Hill House and and stuff like that. As you know, was taking a lot of of, of um, pots at, pot shots at that. But it's again, it's it's flattery, isn't it? It's the, there's always been those movies that have been around um, that were flattery flattering the the movies that were were. Their, their epic team movie was rubbish, but not another team movie was was quite good um, in, a, in a weird way. So, yeah, I mean, I, I could go on about these films and, and digress and go off of the, the screen timeline as much as you can. But, uh, yeah, let's get back to the, the real stuff. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I guess what we'll do then, we'll move on to uh, to Scream 2. So I say, as, as you mentioned there, it comes out in 97. Um, uh, what was your... Uh, what was your stance on the second one, at least? Or barring about ten minutes of it, I still think it's a superior film to Scream. That's interesting. Um, it's it's one of those arguments that people have. It's not like a Jaws two, Jaws one. It it is a far superior movie in production. Um, bar the Greek tragedy scene, that really, if it was taken out, no one would have, you know, would have actually cared i think that was just trying to get a little bit more of a you know iq into the movie um trying to you know it's just easier to call sydney jamie lee from halloween and everyone gets it let's not bring greek mythology into it um the performances were better uh and when you when you know you you say how iconic these characters were in in the first one you know jerry o'connell was not you know apart from being in sliders people would just didn't even know he was the the chubby kid from stand by me um timmy Oliphant, timothy oliphant you know i never really seen him on my radar and you know now i watch everything that he's in because i think he's brilliant um jamie kennedy first time i've actually kind of nearly shed a tear or if i did share a tear i'm not gonna lie when when his scene happened in scream 2 that that really rocked me as a film geek um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I'd still, I still kick myself that I didn't see that it was, uh, Laurie Metcalf all along, because why would you have that character popping in and out everywhere? And, you know, it, it was quite obvious, but Sarah Michelle Gellar was in it and she was originally up for a much bigger part. And that scene was a lot, lot longer and she was supposed to be in a lot more scenes. So um, it's a bit of a shame, really. We didn't get to see what that part could have been. C.C. Um, Cooper. And and I still think the beginning of the movie, the opening is arguably better in a way than the Casey Becker opening, just because it, it was done in a... You're in a theatre, you're watching the movie, and you're watching a movie with people who want to see death, right? Um, not not real death, but scream death. You know, they watch the first movie, they want to watch death. They come to a horror movie to watch death, and you're in a cinema, and you've got people being annoying. They're rustling their their popcorn bags, they're talking. 
over the beginning of the movie and all of that stuff's happening in that scene and you know you you look it made you look behind you a lot afterwards you know it became um well not quite the same as the dark knight and uh and and what happened there but you know it was very kind of you're in that moment and it it, again i mean jada pinkett had only just been started making a name for herself so she wasn't huge uh omar epps had been in a movie called higher learning yeah with michael rapaport which i loved and so i knew him from that so again i was linked into that by that um and you know the 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 muttering in the cubicle you're just like okay yeah yeah that's i I know that one know that's from so you just kind of it was just fun it was again to 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 know something bad's going to happen but you're laughing at the ghost faces at the the cubicles you know and just turning around in you know synchronized and then you've got the you've got you know people chasing each other with rubber blades and um the horror and uh, uh, on people uh, on the face of the victim when no one's taking it seriously and all you want putting yourself in that point of view that you're you're dying but you you can be saved by all of these people but no one is actually taking you seriously uh it it was shocking it had a great soundtrack as well. It was a different soundtrack to the first one. So again, Scream Two. Uh, I could go on about it for forever. Um, it sticks out to me. It's always my argued movie. It's it's uh, one of, in my top ten. Scream Two is above Scream One, which might ruin my list later. That's uh, it's interesting. Like I said, I'll look forward to that in your list later. Um, it, it's funny, really, because for me, it's kind of um, obviously Scream One is, is it's the film almost where the characters know at least what to do in a horror film you know they don't necessarily know they're in a horror film although maybe there is that point to it but with uh, like say jamie kennedy's character and randy and stuff like that he knows the rules behind a horror film there's things you do there's things you don't do things you say etc etc and that's obviously then gone throughout the entire series but the introduction of the sort of film within a film aspect in this one um i think is is the other major revelation to this series yeah again you you've got a film by robert rodriguez right and and this guy had become hot during this time period el mariachi desperado from dust till dawn you know he'd been making movies so to to then start linking real life directors to a movie like at that point you didn't know it was heather graham playing casey becker but then later on in the film series in three and and obviously five um you know they start name dropping people that are actually actors in real life playing these you know the first i probably get the first one was quoted old they probably might know my luck i'd i'd get tori spelling to play me and then there she is in the second movie in stab um you know, Luke Wilson as, as Billy. They're just when you get the in joke in um, in Scream Five when you see the the cast list when Jane Ortega's in the first scene and you see David Schwimmer as as Dewey and uh, you know it's it's funny. I mean, it, it, it's a film that knows it's a film, but it's also a film that wants to make a commentary. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. About it. 
Yeah. Um, and, and like I say, there is that element then of um, like what you've said, really, I guess. it's This one doesn't do it so much where, you know, you've got uh, Luke Wilson and Heather Graham and Therese Bell and everyone. They're not specifically play at least from memory they're not specifically playing luke wilson and but they are there as actors and stuff which like say does develop as it goes later on um i guess the only other the only other person i think you've, you've gone through everyone pretty much other than um i always think he's, he's quite good in this one is uh Liev schreiber i you know lee schreiber is one of my favorite actors just generally and um you know, he, he's been excellent in so many movies, a Manchurian Candidate, Spotlight, um, The Sum of All Fears. He's, he's, he's been, you know, Ray Donovan, the show is great. Um, and again, linking that little snapshot of Lee Schreiber in the first one, you know, you go back to a time when multiple films weren't guaranteed. So to kind of have an actor who was still on the up, but he was quite well known to just be on a TV you know, and then to play the character in the, the second one. I mean, he originally was going to be the killer. So they they didn't give the the cast the last 10 pages of the script because they didn't want anyone to know who the killer was. Right. Um, so when they got to shooting, they they had started shooting the movie and it was Derek and Hayley Hall- uh, that were the killers. Um, so the joke about Candyman's daughter was, was quite amusing if it had happened, but they, they rewrote it for whatever reason as they went on. Um, but there was a script leak for Scream 2. That was when the internet had got a little bit faster. And so they had to they had to totally redo a lot of it just purely because it was it was the script that got leaked. Maybe not the killers, but the, the script was pretty much solid. I see. Um, again, teaching me a lot of information on this one. So uh, that's, that's... I'm 10 years older, man. I've got a lot more experience, <laughs> right? So come on. You know, and these are the days when you had to read. It wasn't just about watching stuff. Can definitely uh, feel your passion and appreciation for these films as well coming through. So yeah, definitely appreciate that. Um, yeah, like I say, I, I guess other than than those bits we've mentioned, I don't have a lot more on Scream Two. I don't know if you've got anything else you wanted to. No, I mean, again, Matthew Lillard was in it, so yeah. Um, there, there is always that. I know he was only visiting because he, at the time, he was dating Sydney uh, Neve Campbell. I still call her Sydney Prescott. Uh, he was dating Neve Campbell, so he was only there to be in the background. He was, he had dyed hair for, a, I think it was Wing Commander, the film that he was shooting with Freddie Prince and Saffron Burrows. So, um, you know, he was in the background. So, if you wanted to link him into Scream Seven, you could easily do it because he's been in all three. Uh, the first three films. He was in the third one as well. I cannot remember that one. It will come to me a bit, but I know he was in there somewhere. Um, so, I mean, there, there was the the kind of um, Rebecca Gayhart, who was in Urban Legend. She was in it. And obviously Ellen DeGeneres. No, sorry. Was it Ellen DeGeneres? His wife was in it? It's, it's her wife, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, Portia from uh, Arrested Development. Ali McBill, I think, that she was in at the time, potentially. Um, so there was always, there was them winks and nods to certain uh, people in there. And we always forget Joel, the cameraman, but, you know, who knows? He could be, he could be the first um, uh, character to be a, a, a come back as a killer in the seventh one. Who knows? I'll, uh, I'll try and check the odds on that one, I think. 
I don't know. I mean, I, I, <laughs> he'd actually fallen out uh, with with the production, I believe, if if the rumours are true and what you read. So um, that's why he was kind of just shelved halfway through. Uh, but again, he may well have been one of the killers. So that's probably why he was just taken out of it and everyone would forget about him at the point when they realise he's a copycat killer. Very good. Um, so like I say, we'll uh, move on to the third one then. So it's like the end of the original trilogy at this point. Um, yeah, probably the end of my love for the original trilogy as well. Uh, I, I love Scream 3. Okay. I, I love all of them. Um, but Scream 3 never sat right with me uh, when I watched it. And when you read about it, you can understand why. Yeah. So, uh, like I say, it, it, we're, we're kind of bringing it back. And, and this time it's um, it's it Scream Goes Hollywood, isn't it, by this point? So we're, we're well into, in terms of the storyline of the, the characters and everything, it's the multiple stab sequels by this point. Um, and then everything kind of shifts focus a little bit to the, the filmmaking and everything else from that side, which effectively just gives them carte blanche to get whoever in to do cameos at this point. And that's where the humour went. Um, and Aaron Kruger got a lot of the blame for that, the screenwriter. And to be fair, a lot of films he's made are written have not been potentially, you know, films that you'd ever remember. Um, although Reindeer Games with Ben uh, Fleck and Gary Sneeze, Charlie's From, wasn't bad. Um, but Kevin Williamson didn't write it. He, he wrote the story, but he didn't write it. And then Aaron Kruger came in to do rewrites once Columbine happened. So the original story for Scream 3 was much more interesting in that, you know, it was um, a, a cult of ghost, ghost face killers and multiple ghost face killers, and um, they were being directed by Stu from prison. Right. That was the original one. Um, and, but because it was, a, you know, the way it was, multiple killers, Columbine, they decided that the film couldn't be that dark. And so they had to add, add humour to it. And, uh, you know, I remember watching the cinema and as soon as I saw, Gal, you know, Gal Weber's haircut, I just, Possibly the most horrific bit of the film. It was. I mean, it's a, it's a three out of five movie. I love a lot of three three star out of five movies, um, but for me, it let the first two down. And the jokes about Return of the Jedi in Scream Two came back to haunt the sequel. The sequel to Scream Two. So yeah, I mean, you're right. There were loads of people in it. Uh, again, why the hell would you have? Jay and Silent Bob in it, you know. There's got to be a grounding to to the universe, you know. You know, Jay and Silent Bob are characters in a movie, and you know it worked that the character the characters played by Luke Wilson and Tori Spelling and Heather Graham were those people playing those characters. You know, to have Jay and Silent Bob just be in there kind of ruin the tone. You've got Wes Craven playing camera guy in that scene as well, looking awkward as hell. Um, everyone was in love with McDreamy, weren't they? So Patrick Dempsey was a distraction. The the ghost scene, which I've kind of reconsidered it to be a lot better than what it was. But again, it just wasn't... What, it, it, 
it was on a par with Billy Loomis in the new ones as a, uh, you know, hallucination, yeah. you know, and, and I can go on about that later. But, um, you know, Scream 3 had a lot that it could have done. And unfortunately, Parker Posey, however good she was in it against Gal, if she was the only character playing, playing silly, yeah. then it would have been okay. But you had Patrick Warburton playing some kind of bodyguard jock type thing that was supposed to be beaten down on Dewey that never got developed because it was only one or two scenes. Um, and then, you know, Emily Mortimer, which again could be, uh, we can surmise maybe in Scream 7, Emily Mortimer comes back, you never see the body. And she was originally supposed to be the, the, the killer with, with Roman Bridges. So you, you never know. Um, but it, I remember all of them really well. I, Scream 3 is not one that I stick on. Um, I stick it on more than Scream 2, which sounds strange from what I've said about it, but um, I, I stick on Scream 4 a lot for, for whatever reason. And uh, But Scream 3, I, I, I only watched it for the first time in about five years, a few weeks ago. Um, but yeah, again, the opening wasn't great. The voice changer, I mean, you can't even do that now. And we're talking about 2000, you know. Perfect, that voice changer is, yeah. You know, I mean, I, I, you you could buy the voice changer for Scream. Like, not so much Scream, but it could change your voice. But you could still hear your voice over it. So there was always the sus suspension of um, disbelief that you had to have when you were watching Scream and they were obviously, like, uh, doing the voice and it wasn't them, in the, especially when they're in the mask. But... Oh, I've, I've I've recorded your your voice, and now I'm going to talk like you. Just really, no no amount of Hollywoodization of that film could have made that happen, and it's just a shame, really. Yeah, it's it's a funny one that because you can sort of buy the idea that you know everybody could sound like Roger Jackson in a way. If you know, if like like you say with those voice changer things, people people get them and you can sound a bit like Darth Vader or whatever, you know, like those kind of in the helmet. Mm -hmm. um, but then to get one that's just anybody under the sun, just by listening to them talk, it's a bit it's a bit like you know you'd expect maybe something from like AI would do it now. You could well, kind of build that into a story, but I'm going to end up watching the last episode of Secret Invasion on Disney later, and I already know that there's the twist what's going to come. I haven't read anything. I just know what it's going to be. And it's just like, you know, it's, it, I, I don't mind stories telling the story and there being a twist, and you might see it coming, but as long as it's organic and it makes sense. But why change the voice changer? Like, why, why do that? That's not a – that to me is just lazy. That's people turning up to fulfill a contracted um, job, you know, and uh, I, I do feel like that was what that was like. And it, you, you see that in a lot of films now that it's just lazy storytelling. I mean, I could Scream 5 and Scream 6, there's lazy storytelling in there, but at least they don't do stupid things because I genuinely thought they were going to do that in Scream 6. And I thought if I have another voice changer, I might just walk out. Yeah, um, I, I, we, we kind of mentioned before about with um, the various different cameos and stuff. And whilst I know people obviously point to, to Jay and Silent Bob because it's it doesn't make any sense at that point because it's meant to be in the real world effectively, but 
you've got two people who, who don't even belong in Hollywood in, in their stories. I don't know, but that's, that's besides the point. The one that always felt quite egregious to me was the Carrie Fisher one. I think I like it more now since she's died and not in a bad way, but um, I, I think it's like, since she's died, I've, I've, I've quite sad being a big Star Wars fan that she, she in essence kind of um, passed. And so when I watched that movie a few weeks ago, I kind of said to myself that that was a nice thing to see. Um, but you, you, Star Wars referenced, Ewoks were referenced in Scream 2, and then suddenly you got Carrie Fisher playing um, an, another another actress that was, oh, no, she looked like me and she got the part. You know, it's just, again, like, how, how can you... The Evil Dead did it really well. They went from darkness to darkness with some really good humour mixed in, and then the Army of Darkness was exceptionally funny. Um, uh, but the tone didn't kill the movie, right? And and that's what Screen Three does for me. It kills the movie on multiple levels. It's um, you know a lot of uh, there, there's a lots of things. I just wish they'd have done darker. And I, I don't mean in like modern day darker because there's obviously a lot of people that kind of. Um, really want their films to be horrible. So I'm not saying that, but you know, that just, just have a real tone to it. You, you want people being killed and it shouldn't be as funny as it is at times. Yeah, I get that. Especially I can see, especially going into the, the last point I've got on, on screen three is the idea that, because effectively the, the story goes that it's about Hollywood executives and their bad behaviour, putting it mildly, should we say. Um, and obviously these films are inextricably linked to the, the Weinsteins and, and everything else that comes from that. How much do you think, obviously, uh, maybe this is a little bit of people putting a, a spin on it that, you know, there was obviously rumours back then, but it wasn't as well known as it is now. But how much do you think that would have played into the, the making in this film? Well, the character um, played by Lance Henriksen was was Weinstein. Yeah. So, you know that whether that was created by the Weinsteins, excuse me, to to be a kind of middle finger to everyone watching the movie, saying this is what I'm up to. How do you feel? Um, or whether it was someone, or maybe Wes Craven, or maybe Kevin Williamson in the story, getting that into the movie to make that point you know you never know do you you never know why that that character is in it in that way um yeah I, looking back it's it's a bit like the the jimmy savile stuff you know you look back and you you didn't at the time i grew up watching jim will fix it and nothing seemed odd to me because i was innocent and the world was innocent because we didn't have the internet we didn't have instant graphication on Instagram and Facebook. Um, but now you look back at everything and you think to yourself, my God, like, and I guess it's the same with Scream 3 and you watch those characters in that, that film and it's like, is Emily Mortimer the, you know, the embodiment of 
the the Rose McGowan yeah, role, you yeah, know, yeah. It is is um is Lance Henriksen's character all about him, you know? Or were they purposely put him? I mean, it would give him more of a a meta feel to it, and maybe a bit more depth to the the story, and maybe it would cause a massive reevaluation if Aaron Kruger or Kevin Williamson or God bless him, Wes Craven was still alive, came out and said. We knew this crap was going on. We put it into screen three. We thought we we could get we didn't know we could get away with it. We got away with it. It came out, but no one really saw what was going on. You know, then it would be a different interpretation. It would be a kind of like, well, you've done you've got two films out of us. This is a big f you to you because you're an absolute monster. Um, we did this on purpose. People would have gone to see the movie. They would have made money, but it would have been like, you know, oh yeah, we know what that is, and 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 that's fine. But I think that would be giving the film too much credit. Fair enough, yeah. Um, so yeah, that that kind of brings to an end the initial trilogy at that point, um, and then it's I believe it's about is it eleven years later we move on. Um, I think it was two thousand eleven. Yeah, yeah. Sydney quotes uh, eleven. It was eleven years ago. Towns moved on. I think um, it was. It was too long a gap, but it wasn't. If it had been shorter, it would have been better. If it had been longer, it would have been better. In a strange way, you know. Um, but yeah, okay. I mean, I, I love Screen Four more than I love Screen Three. Um, I still only give it three out of five, but I think there are elements of Screen Four that, again, were chopped and changed um, with production. I think Hayden Panettiere was a different person than what she is now. I know she's had troubles in her personal life uh, and seeing her in Scream 6 was great, but she wasn't Kirby Reed, even though she's older and she's supposed to be an FBI agent. I, she's not Kirby Reed. Um, there, there were some interesting characters in there. Uh, they tried playing fast and loose with new technology, which again played a part in it. Mobile phones were, were now a thing. Um, social media likes were now a thing. Um, live streaming, webcam footage, YouTube was booming. There were so many um, new things to play with. So I suppose you could argue the 11-year wait was exactly what it needed to be because they needed something to comment on um, because they'd done all the commenting. They, they commented on horror movies, they commented on sequels, and then they commented on Hollywood. So, you know, what else can you comment on as a movie, um, in a horror movie, you know? So I suppose there, there is that aspect to it. Uh, but yeah, I, I think, I think it was, um, the one thing that I, I'm glad about with, with five and six, that there's new blood. And I think with screen four, it was supposed to be new blood, but still it was the main characters. Uh, and it was too much of a, a mix of time it should have just been if you're going to focus on sydney focus on sydney if you're going to focus on the original characters do that if you're going to focus on new ones focus on them you know um can't remember what say by the bell you've got mark paul gosselaire just coming in the background every now and again in the reboot um so you know you, you have that kind of oh yeah that's quite a, a, a throwback to to the good old days but yeah i, I don't think the balance was right I still think it's a strong three. I, st I say Scream 3 was a, as a low three, but um, I enjoyed it. That's fair. Um, it's so funny to me because 
this is the, the most recent one I've watched now. Because um, like I say, I, I rewatched these, the, the first four recently. And um, so obviously sitting down watching it, and to me, in my head, it was always, this was Scream's version of the sort of late 2000s, sort of early 2010s, uh, phase that horror films went through where a lot of them were done by a company called Platinum Dunes who came in and did a lot of the effectively like remakes of horror films. You had the Friday the 13th and you had the Nightmare on Elm Street and you had the Rob Zombie Halloween films as well. But they Texas were... The, Massacre. Yes, which has uh, had about... Jessica uh, ten. Was, was introduced to the world and Jared Padalecki was in that thing as well. I'm not sure one of them was. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, it's had about 10 different... Uh, remakes of Texas Chainsaw Massacre has to be fair. But um but yeah, so so obviously th- those films were coming in at the time and uh and th- this felt like the answer to that in the way that Scream had obviously answered its various different other horror elements to that up to that point. However, almost to what you the point you were just making is that it it feels like it's almost trying to do this what the, well, I think it's in five, they, they go on to call like a requel or a legacy sequel or something like that. And um, it almost feels like it's trying to do that before Star Wars and before Jurassic Park and before Ghostbusters got there with it in terms it, of it, it wants to have its cake. Nightmare, isn't it? It's the Wes Craven new nightmare of yeah. the screen world. Yeah, that's a good point. It kind of wants to have its cake with the with the new characters, but eat it too by bringing in the old characters. But like you say, the, the balance is not quite there and it, it does feel like a, a little bit of a misfire. I think it's still interesting enough that like I say I enjoyed it. Um, I, I think the original, the original kind of story of it was that Jill was going to survive and that people would know that she is the killer. Um, and I, I've read different versions, but one of them was that Sydney also survived. And so then for Sydney, Sydney knew that she was the killer and was playing with her and she became kind of obsessed with her and then she goes to college. So it was kind of like a mirror of Scream 2 and um, Emma Roberts is then targeted by a ghost face who knows who she is, um, as they always do. Uh, but, you know, I, I do agree. I think they were commenting on something that hadn't run its pace yet. It, 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 it's it, the, the Platinum Dunes-esque films that were with My Bloody Valentine as well, you throw that in there, all of these kind of films that were rehashing the old films to in a glossy new way. Um, I mean, Black Christmas, not the new one with, with Imogen Poots, but the, the one that was goddamn awful. Um, you know, all of these films that, they were still coming out at the same time. Whereas when Scream came out, all of the slashes and stuff had started to wane off. You hadn't had a Nightmare on Elm Street for a while, um, like a proper one. So, you know, I think it was too, it was, it wasn't ripe yet. It wasn't ready for it. And people were so bored of that anyway, that when Scream 4 came along to take the Mickey out of it, that's why it's the, the lowest taking one of the lot. So, you know, I think people vote in their numbers, don't they? And if, if, if you have, if you haven't gone past the, the end of that phase, because the end of the phase is, it's like Marvel movies now. Like, I can't be bothered to go and watch them at the cinema, but I must have watched the first 20 or however many there were up to Endgame. And then I watched uh, one after that, I think. No, I, I didn't even, I, I haven't even finished Eternals. Like, I'm only up to about 45 minutes in. I just can't get through the film. It's just like, you've given me something. I like to be challenged, but 
it's not really something I like to eat. And it's a bit, Scream 4 I loved, and I, I did love it because uh, it was Scream. And there was some interesting new bits. I thought the kills were more bloody and gory. They were allowed to do it because of Saw. So, you know, when Saw came out, there was all the Saws after that, which then you had the people trying to take the mickey out of that. Would it have been better off trying to subvert that genre a bit, a bit more and have a ghost face being clever with some some elaborate devices or more cat and mouse games. Um, but I always have one line that ruins it and it's fuck Bruce Willis because in the cinema I laughed, but now I just think you've just been stabbed by like a six inch, seven inch blade in your head and you're thinking fuck Bruce Willis, not, Oh my God, look at all this blood coming out of my face. I'm going to die. I can't see this person who's going to kill me. It's you're thinking of Bruce Willis and, you know, there'll be people that might listen and go, you know, you, you're taking it way too seriously, but you've got to have some semblance of reality to, to kills. If you're going to kill someone. It, it, it does. It's funny because obviously you have got a suspension of disbelief for these films, but there, there can always be just that sort of what is it, straw, straw that broke the, the camel's back and that kind of thing with it. The, the, um, the Jill Roberts, when her mother's died, her mother, she kills her mother through the letterbox. Like, I wouldn't put my back to a letterbox for a year. <laughs> no, that, that is a real life. I mean, again, it makes no sense because you've got to get a knife through a letterbox and then get it into a body. Um, but that makes you think, you know, um, is someone in your closet that makes you think. I'm not going to get stabbed in the head and say, fuck Bruce Willis. No. It's it's just not going to happen. I mean, hopefully I'll never get stabbed in the head. I wouldn't really want to know what I'd say if I did do it. I'd, I'd hope it would be something as cool as fuck Bruce Willis. Sorry to keep swearing, but, you know, I'm pretty sure it would be a lot of gargling and probably a lot of screaming. So, you know, if there had been that brutality to that kill, to see a character that was so humorous, then be in absolute agony and it would be painful to watch... Now that's horror because you're taking a character that you're either invested in humorously or, or because they've got an arc and then you're taking them away from you in a different way. But the humor in the death makes that character non-existent. Randy being the great point in Scream 2 because you got you, you bought into Randy in the first one and then the second one is there and he's the humor in it. And you're, 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 you're thinking, I'm going to be taught this whole thing from... From if there's a third film, it'll be Randy that's in it, and like he is, but you know, in a different way. And then he dies, and then you're just like, well, actually, I wasn't emotionally ready for that. And that's good writing, that's good direction. Sorry, Anthony Anderson, you, you did a great job, but you know, it 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 just really kind of kills the the tone a bit like three. That's um, yeah, that that's that's uh, a good point, I think, on that one. Um, it's funny as well. Obviously, we, we've kind of touched on on Jill Roberts or Emma Roberts in real life, which I think that confused me for a little while. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> absolutely. But, I, do you know what? I never even realised it. No, no. You just said it. I was just like, "You're actually right." I've never actually realised that that strangeness. I mean, it would have been if she was called Emma Roberts, right? Yeah, I've probably like referred to the actress as Jill Roberts before now, I reckon, but, um, but there you go. I, I feel like she was always one that 
after seeing this, you feel like she probably should have kicked on a little bit more with her career and never quite, never quite happened for her. I think she did do Screen Queens, so she was on TV quite a lot. Um, and I would be, you know, I'm not a, an actor. I, I've not achieved what she's achieved, but I don't think she was very good. Out of all the actors in the movie, I thought she was probably the worst. Um, up until she becomes the real person. Right, okay. You could argue the toss that, you know, that's the character beat, you know? Um, but watching it now, if you watched it now and then you looked for a killer, it was obvious that she was the killer. Whereas in a lot of other films, there isn't, they're not that obvious or there's at least some, you know, the, the, the three cups with the ball, you know, there's a little bit of rope dope and, uh, and magic that happens. Um, when she turns into Psycho Jill, like, loved it. Absolutely brilliant. She, uh, the performance at that point was brilliant. I thought the direction was a lot better. I thought it kind of played into the, you know, the cringe factor. Um, the And the fact she killed Charlie straight away was brilliant. Um, and he gets a bad rap. Uh, Rory Culkin in that movie. I, I, and I really enjoyed his character. I thought he was... I think it probably needed to be played by a more um, Stu Lillard type of actor. Uh, Matthew Lillard, sorry. Stu, Stu Macca kind of character. Um, we're all doing it now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, but again, like I think she was, from that point, brilliant. And it would have been interesting to have seen her survive. Now, let's play the game that the screen films have as a rule that you have to shoot them in the head. Stu Macker wasn't shot in the head. Um, I don't think Timmy Oliphant, Timothy Oliphant was shot in the head. Um, and Jill Roberts wasn't shot in the head. So when you, you're going through all the killers and like, you know, I mean, you you never know, right? There there were multiple killers in Scream Six, so in Scream Seven, maybe the Scream Three will come out. The, the original storyline that there's a cult and the cult is include. Could you imagine that? That would to me would be a great. I mean, we could talk about that later, but I I, I think if you had um, the the last ever Scream movie, which I'm hoping will be Scream Seven, um, and it is Emily Mortimer's character from Scream 3, because she was supposed to be the original killer with Roman Bridger, and Timothy Oliphant that didn't actually die because um, he didn't get shot in the head, and Jill Roberts. And they were all kind of in cahoots with with Stu Macker. That, that to me, would be, like, not believable, but it would be total fan service, which I would be there for. Yeah, and I think by this point, you know, at this point of the series, there's probably probably nothing really wrong with that. I mean, if you're going to, you know, it gets to a point where, you know, if you're a, um, you're a famous band and you're in it to your what, what third decade by that point or whatever, just, just play the hits for everybody, I think. And it's the same sort of thing here. Why not? I mean, they, tr- they did that with The Force Awakens with Star Wars and all they had to do was do that for... The Last Jedi and the Rise of Skywalker, and they screwed it up. They tried to be clever, um, 
you know, bring them all back. Let's let's do that. Let's let's bring them all back and have a kind of like greatest hits against Sid and and, and Sam. Kill everyone else off. I mean, kill. I mean, kill them all off. Like, how the hell? Let's talk about Scream Six in a minute. Anyway, that's the that's my probably one of my biggest ones in that. But yeah, so Scream Four, I loved it. High three out of five film for me uh, in terms of the Scream franchise. And um, again, sad to see Wes what happened to Wes Craven, but um, you know, you you can't really argue with those four films as a as a franchise up until that point. Yeah, agreed. Um, I'm going to say the last the last thing I'd got on screen four was that I think the uh, the opening to the film was a bit more of a return to form in terms of you know the, the one and two were both 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 really iconic and then in in three was a bit of a letdown and then this one has the the fake out with the the various different uh, people sitting there watching the stab films and stuff and, and this one it got me first time watching it anyway. The the Yes, and in the cinema it did. Um, when I've watched it since, that, that second bit with Anna Paquin and... Uh, uh, oh, yeah, Kristen Bell. Kristen Bell, forgetting Sarah Marshall. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, you know, I think if it had gone straight to uh, Amy Teagarden um, and, and it had just been a second one, then I think looking back and watching the film, it would be good. You know, because when I first watched that first first bit and, and they were dying, I thought, well, that's really crap. You know, not not so much the acting and not so much the story, but when they die, I'm like, well, that's really bad special effects. <laughs> yeah. You know, that, that if we're watching a movie like that, that's going to cut. It's not going to start very and then very well. Um, but then obviously you see that, um, you know, the reality then takes shape after that. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was better than three. Um but it's probably still the second weakest, I'd say. Fair enough. Um, that, well, that moves us on um, basically another eleven years after that, because we, which I sh- I'm going to assume was going to be meant to be less, but you know we had the the pandemic that, that shifted everything along, and uh, and then the, I mean, the first issue I've got with it is the fact that it's just called Scream. Again, like perfect, they did with Scream Six. Why couldn't they just add the V and the yeah. Scream sign? It would have just been perfect. But you, you, you've kind of missed a bit out. It was the Scream the TV series that was the problem. Okay, yeah, because yeah, because Scream Five was supposed to be Scream Five, and then the Weinstein's looked at costs, and because it didn't make money, Scream Four, they decided that when MTV and VH1 came in and, and whacked a load of money on the table for a, a Scream TV show, um. That that's where they went. Well, it's cheaper. You you get what you get, and and you know um, you can do whatever you want with that. And so that's that's where that went wrong. There. Um, if it wasn't for that, we might have got Scream Five and Six. Uh, you know, with, with Neve Campbell and, and, and David Arquette and Courtney Cox. And rewatching them, I, I actually quite enjoyed the first two series. I've never seen the third season, so I need to do that. But they're not Scream. So no matter what way you look at it, they're not screen. They could have called it anything else and it would have been a, a slasher horror TV show. And it would be good. But yeah, Scream, Scream 5 is still Scream 5. Anyone who's watched the first original four would make that Scream 5. It is Scream 5. It's a continuation, no matter what you say, of a story of characters that were, you know, so linked to the, the sheer DNA and fabric of the Scream franchise. Um 
you could argue that Courtney Cox and um, Neve Campbell aren't in it enough, um, or they're in it too much for it to be. I think the balance of that they might they had to be in it more, like, and we'll get to a certain death, but you know, are we going to talk about it? And then suddenly, Neve Campbell turns up to Sydney Prescott, who's this massive icon who said she'd never go back to Woodsboro, but she's gone back to Woodsboro because someone, you know, I, I, it, it, the one thing about Scream 5 that got me was the fact that it was kind of like, and they said it, Radio Silence said it, that it was fan service, that movie. It was just, we wanted to make a Scream movie. We wanted it to be uh, a homage to, to Scream. Um, and they got it right in a lot of it, but I, I, I think... You know, the the title really, I mean, I don't know if I could swear, but yeah. it kind of, it. I've already been doing it, but I was quoting a quote, but it really pissed me off. Like it, it, it did. And um, it felt like you can't put Sydney front and centre of the poster and just call it Scream and then her being it for 15 minutes. It's just... It was odd in that way because, so, I mean, obviously the character's, address this in in the film at this point they are basically trying to do the uh, the legacy sequel requel idea and and it's the the format that has been laid out by um by Jurassic World or by the Force Awakens at this point in the fact that you have got your new characters you want to bring them into it but then also you have got Han Solo shows up and acts as the mentor the same way that Dewey shows up and acts as a mentor in this and it's it's very similar, and obviously, then you've also got Ghostbusters as well. Did that with with Afterlife as well. After that, um, and I, I don't know what it is. I guess to me is because I, I'll watch these films mostly as well, but because I quite like the originals at this point, and I think I'm just an absolute sucker for it because half the time. They'll still be, they'll be, it's very meta, like you say, it's very knowing. There's a lot of, which obviously screen films have been throughout all of their, all the while, but, and they have got these very knowing winks and stuff to the original films, which again, like I say, all of these, all of these requels have done that up to this point, but it always seems to work on me a little bit. And I always, at least for the first one, I'll say that gets less. Life is a great example of that, but that that's a great example of a movie working. Um, you know, it's not Ghostbusters, it's not Ghostbusters 2, but it's a damn sight, hell of a better movie than Ghostbusters Answer the Call. Like, if you're going to make a movie and take it away from the original Ghostbusters, then at least make it in that universe. Like, mm-hmm. I, I watched that, I, I had to go and see it at the cinema, I went on my own to watch Ghostbusters Afterlife, and it became like this pilgrimage, and every day I couldn't go to see it, I was like, no, I'm going to see it. And I finished work one day and I just got there in time. I went, I don't care, it's 10 o'clock. I'm literally the only person in the cinema. I'm taking selfies. Like. Um, and Ghostbusters Afterlife did the right balance. And it tried to tell a new story by using an old story and creating new characters. So I, I've got I've got a slight holding out hope for Jill Keenan's uh, firehouse that's, that's going to come out next year. But, you know, that part at the end when all of the OG Ghostbusters are there, not playing different characters like in Answer the Call, but they're there, you know? Yeah. And you know, Harold Ramis just, you know, I know it's CGI, but it was no one, 
so many people die and you don't get to say goodbye to their characters you know and that was so perfect that was so perfect you know and I've, ivan reitman died i think before this came out as well so obviously there was a lot of emotion to that and seeing sigourney weaver have fun in it as well and bill murray actually beat peter venkman which you know you see bill murray in bill murray films and you say that's bill murray but when you watch him in afterlife that's peter yeah venkman. yeah, yeah. You know, and there's a differentiation so your, your point is totally valid about those movies but i think the the biggest thing that they could have done with um with that it would have been like the phantom menace which was the biggest problem with the prequel was the fact that he dumbed it down and then said it was always about kids. But there was there was more levels to the original Star Wars trilogy. There was a lot more darkness to it. There was a lot more adult themes. There were actors like Alec Guinness in it. They, You wouldn't see that kind of actor in a film like that around that time until you get to Ian McKellen in, in Lord of the Rings. And, you know, again, was that a kid's movie? No. Was it an adult movie? Yes, but at the same time, both sets of age groups could watch it. And whilst we're digressing on it, I think Ghostbusters Afterlife was could have been The Phantom Menace, and I don't think it was. I think it was just a very nice movie. I enjoyed it. I thought Paul Rudd was excellent. I thought the kids were good. I'm not too sure about... I think his name is Radio or Podcast. The podcast his name podcast, was. Yeah. But they're all going to be in the, the, the new movie. Um I, I stomached Finn Wolfhard. I love him in Stranger Things, but in everything else he's been in, he's been dire. But he was good in it. So, you know, it it was that. And um, I, I've got no problem with them movies because, you know, I, I grew up and watching all the Jaws movies. And when I was 15, I started writing uh, a, a fifth movie for Jaws. Like, can you imagine trying to come up with a... a, a and I, I called it Jaws Amity. And I started writing it and I stopped. And then when I was a uni doing film, I was like, do you know what? I've got a really good idea for that. And then during the summer when I was working in an office, I started writing it. I never finished it. I called it Jaws Legacy. Um, so it's just like all of these things that were running my hand. Because I was like, I want to see Dennis Quaid come back. I want to see him play the character he played in Jaws 3 and come back to Amity and, and be attacked. These films that we grew up watching, uh, no matter how poor they became, even like Jason X is when it jumped the shark, but it was a fun movie. But I I love Jason Goes to Hell because there was a reference to Freddy Krueger at the end, and it's an awful movie, but it's 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 such an awful movie made it really really well. And the fact that you you watch that film and you go like, why is he eating a heart? Oh, I get it now, because evil is evil, and Jason was just an embodiment of evil, and you don't really see Jason that much in that movie, which was its downfall, but. You know, as a movie, I, I enjoyed it, like all the other Pappy films I'd watched throughout my life. But you, you don't get so much invested in the characters. You get invested in the IP, which is what Disney have done. They bought everything with an IP. So they, they bought the Marvel movies. They bought the Star Wars movies. Indiana Jones, they've screwed it up more than Spielberg did with Crystal Skull. Um, you know, what are they going to do with Deadpool 3? Are they going to actually let them make it? They've got Sean Levy to do it, who's a good director, but is he going to really be able to to, to do what we need him to do, which is let Ryan Reynolds and um, Hugh Jackman just F-bomb their way through the MCU? They probably won't, even if it's R-rated. So as we go back to Scream, um, <laughs> yeah, the, there were so many things in that film that felt spoon-fed. And, you know, 
when you go into Dewey's um, kind of whatever you'd call it, not caravan, but the trailer, uh, isn't it? Yeah, trailer, trailer, the you old know, container, whatever they they were using, and you've got these plaques and this box that just says Tatum, and it's just like. Oh, you wouldn't want that in your house, would you? I know he's tra- trash essentially at this point, but you just wouldn't want a box with just Tatum on it, right? And then you go into the Randy Meeks, um, you know, Memorial Cinema, and you're like, okay, that's kind of cool. But again, it's the same plaque maker. Now, I get that Woodsboro's a small place, so it might be one person that makes plaques. But it's just like, why are they looking at a photo of Billy Loomis on the stab in the TV? But that's from the movie. Who who stopped whilst he was on a rampage to take a still? You know? That's, that's always one of my my pet peeves in, in, in films and stuff where they have the they'll be viewing footage of something that happens and it's effectively yeah. just how we Crazy. saw it in the film. And and, and but and what's annoying about that scene is it's probably one of the best scenes in it. Because that's more like the op- like the opening fountain scene in Scream when, you know, they're, they're talking. And it's got one of the best jokes in all the Screams when Wes Hicks turns around, you know, where turns around and says, well, you know, you, you're a drunk and, you you know, your wife left you and blah, blah, blah. And, and uh, Dewey says, well, how do I know you're not the killer? And he says something as well, that cut deep. And it was it was hilarious and it was a funny joke and I, the whole cinema erupted at that. And that is what, what was missing really from six was that dewiness. And I, I think, you know, we'll get onto that part of five, but for, for all the good stuff that screen five did, there were so many parts of it that really underwhelmed and I, I couldn't work out whether I liked it or not when I went to see it at the cinema. It's one of them, I think, for me, that I really liked it at the time because you have all those sort of moments that remind you of the older films and stuff like that. And now, it only came out sort of last year, didn't it? So I haven't, I haven't revisited it for this for this podcast. Um, it's still relatively fresh there. So I, I feel like, to me, though, it would be one of them that, and I'm basing this again off having rewatched Jurassic World a few times or having rewatched The Force Awakens a few times, and that they do kind of get lesser quite a bit the more times you rewatch them. Like the, the, the trick of nostalgia doesn't quite, it wears off quite quickly. And, and that's where I think the second Jurassic World did everything right. They changed the concept slightly by bringing in DNA and, and human cloning, which was still with dinosaurs in mind. And, you know, uh, I think it, oh, Spell, Timothy Spell's son, Brave Spell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, is, is the bad guy essentially in that. And I think he was excellent in it. And um, the direction was darker and it was, you know, a, a really good movie, a tight movie. It had emotional impact. You're saying goodbye to Jurassic Park in the, the scene when the Brachiosaurus dies in the volcanic eruption. And, you know, the you, you wouldn't think that you'd get emotionally upset about seeing a CGI dinosaur die in a volcanic eruption. But because of the iconography of, of, of Jurassic Park and and going to, to that movie, arguably the second one is the better continuation of Jurassic Park without it being that movie. 
Um, the less said about the third one, I, I, I don't know. And, and that's that's always the worry with third ones of trilogies. You know, how do you finish it off? And people come up with these harebrained ideas. I'd like them to throw the, the kitchen sink at Scream 7 and just go for it and just literally fan service the hell out of it and just blood and guts everywhere. But, you know, Jurassic World Dominion was... No, no good. No, they, they threw everything. They threw everything there. Sam Neill, Laura Dern, Jeff Goldblum. You know, all of these characters were in this movie as well as you know, Chris Pratt and Bryce Dallas Howard and, uh, and Benedict Wong. And you're just kind of like you're expecting him to just drag out uh, uh, Richard Attenborough's corpse and just like have him in it. But he's in it. You know, they, they get him in it somehow. Yeah. You know? um, so, yeah, I mean, it gets boring, doesn't it? And it when you get a movie like Sisu come out, which obviously isn't a horror or anything like that, you, you actually just enjoy the madness of it. The the um the enormous what is it I can't remember the the the, the something weight of oh, uh, unbearable massive. weight of massive talent yeah, yeah, yeah what a great movie that was and it was just so bizarre and full on Nick Cage but it was like he knew what he was doing and it was so good and they get someone like Pedro Pascal who's in the zeitgeist to play well against every character he's played this is the guy that was an absolute bastard in the equalizer 2 and you know um you know he, he's obviously joel from last of us and and the mandalorian and then suddenly he's in this movie and he's he's doing drugs with nicholas cage and like it, it was fanboy in all over him yeah yeah it's, 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 it's pure full-on craziness you had nick cage who who's awesome and then you've got pedro pascal that everyone loves and you're just like this is brilliant this is exactly what i want to go to the cinema that was enjoyment and that's what Scream 6 probably did better than Scream 5. And I think the thing with Scream 5 was exactly what you said. You sit there and you enjoy it and you kind of go, yeah, this is good and blah, blah, blah. Dewey's death was impactful. It was done really well, but it was ruined by the trailer because you just knew that that was going to happen. I called it when I screenshotted the trailer and I put it in the Scream group on Facebook. You know, um, I don't even think it's going at the moment. The Woodsboro Film Club, that used to go off all the time. But, um, you know, it's... The only thing, I can take lots of memorable things from Screen 5, but the main thing was the opening sequence was good. And General Ortega was good. Yeah. Um, yeah. But again, I think it was too short. Um, I would have liked to have seen a bit more of what happened. before. I know that it's the classic slash down, but um, who knows? Not Not too gross, but just enough to kind of, when she gets grasp gasp for air, how, how close she is to dying, a bit like Courtney Cox in the sixth one, yeah, um, which is makes it a bit more real. Um, but then Melissa Barrera in the in Scream Five was either directed really poorly or she was awful. And when someone is having Saffron Burrows in the Deep Blue Sea movie was was absolutely atrocious. And you watch that movie, and it's about genetic sharks. Yeah. And you go, you know, LL Cool J, he's the funny guy. Samuel Jackson's going to be the badass. You know, Michael Rappaport's trying to be higher learning, but in science. And Stellan Starsgard and, um, and and Thomas Jane, who is kind of like a bit of a hit, big thing then. And you're just like, okay, Saffron Burrows, you're ruining this movie. Like, you literally are ruining this movie. 
And that's kind of where I was with Melissa Barrera in this film. Um, I thought General Ortega was good. I thought Jack Quaid was good. Obviously, coming off The Boys, it was great casting. Um, I, I thought that uh, Dylan Manette was was the same kind of trick casting as what Jack Quaid was because of 13 Reasons Why. I, I always liked Carl Golner from other movies and they just didn't use him for no reason whatsoever. It was just a very strange character to have in there with that kind of actor. Yeah, he's always going to be, uh, again, going back to my my uh, sort of Kevin Smith fandom a little bit, he's always going to be known to me as one of the kids from Red State. Yeah, Red State, what a great movie. Original movie, like yeah. Tusk. Red State against Tusk, Red State wins hands down. But again, like to watch movies like Barbarian and have a different kind of challenge as a viewer is what watching movies is about. If I want to watch someone die over and over again, I'll go and watch the Friday the 13th and I'll be happy watching it for the 3,000th time. It won't bother me, but I'll enjoy it because I know that's what I want to see. But like sometimes I'll read stuff and I go, I'll watch this movie. It follows. Absolutely loved it. Yeah. Totally yeah. different to what I like. I absolutely loved it. Follows. It was different. The cinema, it was a great movie at the cinema. Um, but then someone said, watch X and X is the best film that they've seen in years. And it was trash. Ooh. But then I watched the trailer for Pearl. No, I didn't like it. I thought it was rubbish. And then I watched Pearl the other day and it was the most bizarre thing. But I liked it more than X, even though having sex with a scarecrow isn't really something that I need to probably be seeing. <laughs> but I could see what they did with that because it was from the 1920s or 30s or whenever it was, and, and it kind of, or 40s, whenever it was. I think it was the First World War. And so they had that kind of film that they made. So the, the title cards and the way that the screen wipes and stuff like that, it was like a 1920s, 30s silent movie because it's all about her trying to get to Hollywood. So you, you see that. At least you're trying to do something. At least I watched it and was challenged by it um, and have a reason to dislike it. The worst thing you can do is watch a movie and then come out of it and not really know why you dislike it or you're very indifferent about it. You know, And that's what I had from Screen 5. I, I, I'd still say it's a three out of five film. Okay. I won't ruin where I put that in the three out of five category, but um, it, it really kind of... Drew Barrymore being the, you know, the principal over the tannoy and getting all of the original cast to, to say for Wes and stuff like that was nice touches. But the impact on the story was just like you're just ticking boxes. Um, and to then shoot that film on a soundstage when the, the, the house is there to use is, again, bizarre because it gave that plastic vibe to it. You know, yeah, yeah. diet kind of version of it, which is why I'm glad, even though it wasn't shot in in New York, it looked a little bit more like New York than it could have been. That's uh, that's fair, yeah. Um, I, I think the only the only um, the last point I think I had on on screen five was uh, picking up on uh, one of the actors in it, uh, Mikey Madison, who's the sort of accomplice killer in this one. Uh, obviously, meets her end fiery death in this one. The only other film I think I really recognise her in as well is going to be uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, 
where she meets a similar fate. Do you think that's going to be something that will follow her through her career? Every film now, she has to be burnt to a crisp at the end. I, um, I mean, I enjoyed her dying. <laughs> I enjoyed her dying. I thought she, again, I, she had that vibe all the way through it, you know. Um, you, you, you've got these little parallels that go right through all of the screen films when you can see who the killer is if you just watch hard enough. Yeah. You know, all the killers, and this is why Scream 2 was good, because in the first one, um, Billy gets cut on the arm, I think. Is that right? And I can't remember. I'm pretty sure he does. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it's like, okay. And then the, in the in the second one, Derek gets cut on the arm. So Sydney then kind of looks at him and goes, oh, you might be the killer. Because isn't that convenient? Yeah. Um, and in the third one, I can't remember if that does happen, but oh yeah, McDreamy gets knocked out or yeah, he gets it's another thing. And then the fourth one, it's Jill Roberts gets cut. And if you watch, everyone who gets cut on the arm is the killer. You know, apart from Derek in Scream 2, which goes back to the rewrite of the end. So it would have been a through line. So I'm glad that it isn't. But, you know, watching Jack Quaid get cut, I thought to myself, oh, God, he's going to be the killer. And then I didn't think he was going to be the killer. It's through, yeah, not at the last moment. And then, you know, I always had a sneaky suspicion about Mikey Madison. She has that sort of look, doesn't she? Yeah, like she looks like a nutter. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but, you know, sorry, Mikey and everything. I'm sure you're lovely. But um, she has that kind of way she acts is very... Yeah, Liv McKenzie was awful in it as well. You know, know, until she starts doing the hair flick. When I saw that in the trailer, I was like, I loved that. It was time brilliant for the trailer. And it's great in the scene. But, you know, she, she was just a whiny piece of work, wasn't she? You know? Um, but yeah, Mike, Mikey Madison, I thought was good. Um, but again, it was a bit too, oh, look, she can, you know, Neve Campbell can, can now be a spy and put tracking devices on cars. Like I've watched that scene so many times to see if she gets close to the car nice enough to get a tracking device on it. I still can't see her go near the car. Um, I'm an asthmatic. So I know... I've forgotten my inhaler before, but I can guarantee you that I can live for three hours uh, on a on a car journey if I have to um, through various coping mechanisms. Asthmatics get an absolute crap rap uh, in movies and TV shows. We don't always like we're we're a whoopee cushion going backwards, you know. We don't all die every time we have uh, you know a little bit of dust in the room. <laughs> Um, so to, to the, the whole kind of setup be that he has her inhaler, which is a very, very, you, you can always tell we've got an inhaler in their jean pocket, you know, yeah. without being rude, you know, you can <laughs> tell, inhaler, right. So to have that shape or what would be a shape in his shirt, it should be quite bloody obvious. You know, if, if my partner was wearing a shirt and she, she had a big like thing in her pocket, I'd want to know what's in there. Right. So at what point does the Sam Carpenter not go, well, I'll, let me have a look to see what, what's, uh, what's in your pocket. But no, I, I think it's convoluted, but it was at the time watching it, just such a pleasure to watch Ghostface run around again. Um, even if it at times looked like a, a, a set on a TV or movie studio, but 
it it was it was fun fair yeah yeah i think i, I think I sort of agree with you on the end of that one um which then moves us on to the one that came out this year and it took uh jason eight films to get to manhattan but it only took ghostface six because via canada um, as, as always nowadays, yeah. Yeah, I, look, I think Scream 6, again, had a rewrite issue because the ending, I don't think the ending was the same ending that they originally had. Um, okay. I, I, I read somewhere, I can't remember what it was, but I, I think they did change the ending because of Neve Campbell. Um, because Neve Campbell wasn't in the movie, they had to rewrite certain portions of it. So you, you kind of wonder how much Neve Campbell's character was in it originally yeah. um because the story holds up like it's not an obvious rewrite where you kind of go well that's ruined that that's obviously a bit what's gone missing and and, and the editing's kind of good but i think the scream six complements scream five in certain ways the the real footage of jack quaid on the screen being being richie kirsch um kind of gives you a kind of more uh, more depth to that character that maybe why it felt a bit flat at the end of uh, you know I nearly called it episode five but that would be strikes <laughs> back which would be a disservice to that um, so yeah I think Scream Six was back to form but I could still pick holes in it I thought the 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 opening was clever but I also think. It was stupid. So it's it's one of those ones where you you had a film in Scream, the first one, where people were calling out, you don't go down there, you do this, you do that, you run away, you star 69 his ass, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then you get to this film where you've got a film studies lecturer who's Australian, so not, not American. So, you know, there's no fluffiness about an Aussie. Um, that is obviously talking about slashers and it's a bit poncy about them, but not having the common sense to not go down that dark alley really, really up kind of, I'm that, that was my first red flag at the beginning. I'm, I'm glad there was only two or three through the film. Um, but when the voice comes on the phone in that scene and you just know that that's, that's flash from, from Spider-Man yeah. trilogy. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, are they seriously going to do the voice changer again? Like that was my, maybe they did it for that reason for people going, Oh, they're going to do the voice changer again. And then you go, Oh, I don't like the voice changer. And then when you realize it isn't the voice changer, it's actually him. You're like, okay. Okay. They haven't done that one before. Yeah. Um, and I thought, you know, I thought to myself throughout that was, we're going to know who the killer is for the first time the whole way through. I had the same thought, yeah. And, you know, we do, I like, I, I like have these moments where I, I wanted to write a new screen and um, just jotting down notes because I get bored. And it was just like, I had this opening scene where Sydney Prescott was actually in a, a kind of New York apartment, a bit like uh, Courtney Cox, but in Hollywood. Um, and her husband was Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> And she's fighting Ghostface and she kills Ghostface in the first scene. And you're like, whatever. And then Matthew McConaughey kills her. And then you're like, 
right, so Sydney Prescott is dead, which is a total kind of like bad thing, but you then see that character, the whole film, and you know Matthew McConaughey is a bad guy, which is why the Jill Roberts thing's not, the Jill Roberts timeline didn't work, and it, it, it's sad. So, you know, Scream 6, that first bit was a nice little rug pull. Um, it was fun. Could have been drawn out about five minutes longer, I think. I think it definitely could have been a bit longer. Um, but I, I liked it. Um, and it's probably the third best opening out of the, out of the six. I think the uh, the biggest shame for me, I guess, in it was... I'm actually so I I really quite like um, Samara Weaving who plays the uh, the, the film. She was originally going to play Sam Carpenter. Oh, okay, that's interesting. So she was actually up for playing that, but I think it was the babysitter. Yeah. That she had to do around that time. Right. Okay. So I was going to say because I think they they'd gone in with the idea that she would be the Sam Carpenter character, and I could see her playing that character. So. I agree with you. I think she's amazing. Yeah, because I, I really like her in in well, particularly in the first babysitter and then in uh in ready or not as well i think she's she's really good in those so obviously to see her pop up in the beginning and you kind of know what's going to happen i was a bit like oh, that's a that's a shame but um, yeah how, how meta would it have been if she a character would have lived and on you know do the fancy dress on the train um she's yeah. actually dressed as a character from ready or not that would have been some, <laughs> yeah. meta, some meta shit that would have been fun right um i think they've missed out on that one yeah, but, yeah. Um, but uh, like I said I, I had the I had the same thought as you in that opening scene. I was like, oh, this could be the one where we know who the killer is throughout, and that that would be an interesting spin on it. But uh, we didn't quite get that in the end. And and then, like you say, I, I think the ending was a little. I found it to be a little messy. I think by the time everybody's into the museum or whatever it is at, at the end, I was praying it was Gal. I was praying it was Gal. Like I, I just, just, just at that moment, I was just, I was hoping it was girl. Like I, I just, I literally just had this thing where, not so much she was the mastermind behind everything, but just that she sold her soul. You know, there was just something about it. She always had that dark edge. I was just hoping it was going to be, and and that's where the the silliness of the movie comes in. You know, I know it's a, a silly movie, but to to have three killers, great. That's new. Um, to have the kid from Avatar way out of water who's now grown up because it was made so long ago, would be the other killer, right? Dermot Moroni was fun. But, like, I get faking a death, but this is New York, right? And they have coroners, and they have a lot of police officers, and I think that it would probably come out in the office that one of the detectives that are one of the lead detectives on a homicide case is now involved with his daughter's dead body, in a in a like at no point does anyone question the fact that Dermot Maroney's character comes out of the the oh it's my daughter yeah I'm gonna kill that fucker you know that's not your first instinct obviously you want to kill people but like the police wouldn't let him be on his own do you know what I mean it's, it's just like it's one of those things you can yeah. you can kind of buy it in Woodsboro because you know you expect that to be a much smaller town and you know there's Maybe there's not that many police other than Dewey, you know, in the town kind of thing. Or, you know, not that Dewey was this character, but, you know, you know what I'm trying to say, that there isn't going to be a huge police force there, as opposed to New York City, literally like one of the most, one of the biggest cities in the world. And it just kind of... It, it's when you think about screen movies, like when you think about the first one, you think about the second one, you, you don't get much 
negativity about how things went down and how things happened. You know, you could probably pick holes in certain bits, but there's there's things that you just go, yeah, okay, I deal with it, you know. But then it gets worse as you go along. The, the big things in six, like the guy's just lost his daughter and, you know, he's got a, an earpiece and they're doing a recce in Central Park and it's just like, or what's supposed to be Central Park, which obviously isn't Central Park. Yeah. And then you're like, you're like, okay, why are you why are you out? Like, your daughter is just dead. You've already mentioned that your son's dead, which gave away that it was Richie Kerr straight away. Like, as soon as he said the line about his son being dead, you just know, or no, sorry, her brother being dead, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so you just knew straight away that there was something going on there. Um, and, you know, I, I say Mindy Meeks Martin wasn't the character she was in the first one. Uh, she got a good lot of good of press in in you know coming in a run up to that movie, and I and I just you know the whole kind of again I was hoping it was her, you know when it when it was getting to that, but then she got stabbed and you're just like okay whatever and then she runs up. What is it with people getting stabbed in these movies and being chill? You know, like I'm not being funny. If I stub my toe, I limp. Yeah, and you got screen five you've got neve campbell and courtney cox have been shot and stabbed in the stomach right and you've got sam barrera that's been stabbed in the stomach sam carpenter sorry he's been stabbed in the stomach and they're just walking around chilling talking to each other like they would be getting blood and they would be off to the hospital that's just that's reality those weren't little niggles they were proper knife you know thrusts and so it gets into six and then she's pissing and moaning that she's she's got the, the killer wrong again you know it's just like i've missed it you've just been stabbed in the stomach and you're running around like this i i don't know if it was i don't know if it's just because it was the newest one but this this one did take the uh take the biscuit a little bit for me with the um with with chad at, towards the end and it's, I, I think i started to go there earlier and like to just gets turned into a human pincushion at one point pretty much and uh the only way they get around this is if he's in a wheelchair in the next one you know that, interesting yeah that was, that was awful right so you get but you go back to dewey so you they're kind of making chad the new dewey and so when you look at that okay i get it you're trying to mirror the original but the problem is with that is that dewey had a limp that disappeared in screen four but came back for screen five which again was really, I thought when the link was back, I, I just thought generally that might be a, a precursor to him being a bit sad and lonely and a kill, kill, happy, happy, joy, joy kind of character. Um, but yeah, it, that was too much. I can get the the cut to the, the leg, he passed out a couple of, you know, you pass out, your blood flow becomes less and you can get away with it, with living if you pass out. But, I mean, he must have been stabbed 25 times. The, 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 it's just, you know, there, there's people... I mean, we don't want to see movies where someone gets shot or stabbed once and you don't see pain. And our people are probably looking at me going, oh, you, you're a bit, again, psychopathic again. But no, it's not about that. It's like the reality of it is, like I just said, I stubbed my toe, I limp for days. Like, there, there is pain that you have from these, these things. So if you have a paper cut, you feel it. If you cut into your finger or you cut your finger off, that's painful for, for days, for weeks. I haven't done that. I'm, I'm, I'm just, you know, conjecture. But to be stabbed, I mean, one of the, one of my friend's brothers was stabbed in the early 2000s 
and he made it through, but he was in hospital for weeks. And, you know, yeah. you see these videos of people fighting back when they've been stabbed, but they ain't walking very long after because the adrenaline wears off. Yeah, that's it. So, you know, I, I think the one thing that if I could, if they do direct the sixth one, the seventh one, sorry, I just like them to probably go back to basics and actually think, you know, logically about some of these things that they do so if, if if chad is in a wheelchair like full on like proper stephen hawking-esque with his you know can't move okay he survived but he can't walk and he's 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 you know uh, paralyzed I, i'll take that in a dark way but um you know have have mindy as his full-time carer you know then you have the double act there again i again Maybe I'm writing their movie for them. Um, but again, dropping the screen mask on the floor when leaving at the end, what does that mean for Sam Carpenter's character? She's giving it up. She, she's not nuts anymore. Um, or is it that she's going to be one of those characters that are going to be nuts in the next one? Or is it going to be General Ortega? Are they going to pull that rug pull? Um, off of the, the Wednesday Adams fraternity, are they going to make General Ortega the bad guy in this? And that would be something else. She, I was convinced she was the killer in the trailer. That's where the trailer did it well. Yeah. Because when she was hanging, it looked like she was a bit nuts. Um, so she was because she dropped and started stabbing people when she dropped down. But, you know, how, how cool would it be that Sam and Tara are the killers in the sixth and the seventh one? Yeah, I have a feeling that might be where they're going to go with it, but uh... like evil is infectious, like yeah. the kind of like Halloween ends type vibe, which you know I'm not against that because I thought Halloween ends was better than Halloween kills, but it's just a so, you know it was a low end to clear for me that one. But, yeah, yeah it's, you know I, I think I think Scream Six was better than Scream Five. I thought it was a much much better film. I didn't think it felt as rushed. Um, I liked the characters in it. I liked Courtney Cox's performance. I thought it was finally time for her to to actually speak to Ghostface on the phone in a sixth film. And I thought she was dead. She wasn't. And I, I always wanted her to die in a few of them. And then when she was just about to die, I thought, oh, no, I don't want her to die. No, you got rid of Dewey. You can't, you can't do what the Star Wars movie's done and get rid of Harrison Ford and then Mark Hamill and then Carrie Fisher, right? Carrie Fisher was forced, but you can't go, right, we're going to get rid of David Arquette and then get rid of Courtney Cox, and in the last one, we're going to just get Sydney, Sydney Prescott and kill her off as well, because that would just be... Well, see, that I have a theory on that, and that is that they're trying to do the same thing that Star Wars did. Now, like you say, with Dewey comes in as the sort of mentor, same way Han Solo did, and he dies, and then something goes wrong with the casting, or not the casting, but you know, people behind the scenes a little bit. So the plan was perhaps that they were going to get rid of uh, Courtney Cox in this one for me. I, I haven't, this is based entirely on nothing at all, but, uh, but observations and that they were going to get rid of Courtney Cox in the, in this one, in the same way that they got rid of, they did away with Luke Skywalker in the last Jedi, but obviously behind the scenes issues meant that realistically you couldn't get, uh, Carrie Fisher to come back, obviously for Rise of Skywalker, whereas that's when they were going to get rid of her in that one. But obviously now Neve Campbell hasn't come back for this, so I think they kind of did away with 
Sydney a little bit in this one, and then that Courtney Cox might be the one who dies in the next one. That's my theory, anyway. Uh, I just hope they bring back them all. Like I say, I think if you've got to get Patrick Dempsey in it, you've got to have Mark Kincaid. You can't name drop Mark as a husband. You've got to have Sydney Prescott. You've got to have her kids. How old are her kids now? I mean, like you put kids in a horror movie, there, there's some danger there. What's the one thing that they haven't done in Scream? They've got no young kids in it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and and that always freaks me out when I'm watching a movie if there's young kids in it because it does it, it really really upsets me. So Sydney Prescott in 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 the re- in Scream Five, we we'll call it Scream Five. She has kids. One of them's a baby. So in Scream Seven, the baby's going to be essentially four, maybe five, and maybe she'll have a ten year old or an eleven year old or whatever. You know, so I mean, Scream Four was in 2011, so you you're looking at 11 years to Scream, and then 12 to 12 to uh, Scream Six. So Scream Seven, when it comes out, might be 14, 15 years. What's to say that she hasn't got a teenage daughter that that is at high school that is being terrorised? Maybe that's the end. Um, who knows? I mean, there's lots of things that you, you. That's the thing about the movies, isn't it? You see, you see the trailer, and you try to try to work out what's going to happen. And you used to see trailers, and they were absolute, absolute crap. You know, they used to be like in a world where you know all this <laughs> stuff that was like you didn't know what was going to happen. These these people just, uh, I think they need to need to throw it all at the wall and just leave it there. Don't touch it again. Leave it for twenty years, reboot it, start it again. Possibly, yeah, that'll possibly be where they're gonna where they're gonna go with it. I think after after one more at least, anyway. Well, the last one was the most successful, I think. Well, that's the thing, I suppose. As long as they're still making money, seems likely that they're going to carry on making them. Well, I'd like to see some originality. You know, that's why I liked um, the Babadook which was obviously name-checked, hereditary. I, I think that Ari Aster's films are super. You know, I thought Midsummer was bizarrely brilliant. Um, uh, I, I want to see the new one with Joaquin Phoenix. Um, I can't remember what it's called. Uh, Bo is Afraid, yeah. Yeah, it looks crazy. It's is exactly what different. different. I'll give you that. I, I, I won't say too much, but yeah. No, I, I, can, I, I can see that there's obviously a lot of time hopping or at least like flashbacks and stuff and you know i i think we've got to a stage now with cinema where it's so vanilla that we now go into every movie we watch and we know what's going to happen um you go into a marvel movie like i don't know if you watch the marvel films but the secret invasion tv show i can tell you what's going to happen in the last episode and i haven't watched it yet yeah, and not because I know the comics; it's just because it's obvious. You know, some of the characters in that show wouldn't be doing what they're doing if they if there wasn't the the setup for in the middle. You know, it, it's it's quite obvious, and I think that's the same with cinema. You walk into a film now, and you, I'd I used to like going into a film like Kiss the Girls, and Along Came a Spider, or Seven. And having to actually watch the film and the usual suspects, the, the twist at the end. And we can talk about Kevin Spacey now because apparently he's innocent. So that's okay. Um, you know, you can watch films like that. And while we're on Kevin Spacey, K-Pax, you know, Source Code with Jake Gyllenhaal. Like these films have 
originality to them. Duncan Jones' Moon was brilliant. You know, we won't talk about World of Warcraft, but, you know, these films just, they make going to the cinema exciting. And, and that's why slashers and horrors and, and stuff, they need to carry on being made because when you're in a dark room, it doesn't, it doesn't matter how bad a film is in terms of a horror movie. There's always something. There'll always be a jump scare, which is cheap, and it's cheap horror, but there's always a jump scare. The screen, the screen five scene with Wes Hicks in the house and he's opening every door and you're expecting Ghostface to be behind the door every single time and he's never there, it's genius. That was brilliant directing. That was the best scene in the whole film. Not so much the, the Judy Hicks stuff outside because you've got windows by the doors. You'd see your dead mum outside if you're looking through the window. I'm sorry, you just would. Um, but that, that was impactful because it was suspenseful um and that's what i did right in the in the sixth one it was brutal the sixth one it was different it, it was it was evolved it was uh the scene with the ladder across the the buildings was brutal um you know she was struggling because she was hurting so what's different this goes back to my point and this is where i go off off paste a bit is one of the characters is bleeding out from the stomach and it can barely walk but you know, everyone else gets stabbed in the stomach and they can, like, do backflips and stuff. This is yeah, yeah. you, you know, this is this is supposed to be real life. So, you know, bring bring up a, I'd like to have a whodunit again, you know, proper whodunit in the next one and, and have it so that there's still the humour, but there's the reality to it. I want Chad in a wheelchair. Uh, I want Mindy as his carer. Um, I, I, I love Josh Shigara's character, so I want her... Uh, him and, um, and Melissa Barrera to be together. She was good in Scream Six, so we'll, we'll give that back to her. Because Scream Five, I thought she was awful, but in Scream Six, Scream Six, she was good. Why would you have Henrik Sherney in there? Like, I was so excited for him to be in there, and then he just gets—I mean, that was brutal as well. I loved the death, but like, you know, why have a character like him in it and then do what you do with it? Like, you have people like him in it to do what you do with Dermot Mulroney. Um. Uh, and yeah, I, I think that there there is obviously there's got to be there's got to be fan service in the next one. But what is it going to be? And they say they've written it, but they can't do anything about it until the strike. So um, they should start filming in the new year if it gets 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 going. And it might be a, a, a Halloween job next year. But I don't want it to be like ninety seven to two thousand again. I don't want it to be two thousand twenty six, two thousand twenty seven because I think they'll lose all momentum. Yeah, I think um, I agree with that. And just they do need to strike while the iron's hot, don't they? It's it's a bit like the the Saw series, you know. Saw one was brilliant, one of the best films I've ever seen. Going back to the originality thing that yeah. I said, and if you look at Lee Winnell and and James Wan, they did some amazing films. Death Sentence with Kevin Bacon was brilliant. Um, uh, Upgrade with um, the guy from. Uh, uh, Prometheus. Yeah, I can't. I can picture his face, but I cannot think of his name. It's it's like a. It's not Logan Lerman. It might be. Yeah, it might be Logan. Lerman, something something Lerman. Um, but yeah, he was good in it, and that was a good movie. Original movies, but you know, when Saw came out, and then it was Saw Two. I love Saw Two. Saw Three was okay. Saw Four, and it yeah, it got a bit worse. You know, so the, Saw Ten's coming out this year. Like that that's when you just go, right, didn't he die in, in four or three? And this is three, what yeah. a lot of films take the mickey out of, you know? 
Tobin Bell's coming back because there's a film in between Saw and Saw 2. But then you look at it and you're like, well, he's going to look 30 years older than, or 20 years older than what he was. It doesn't matter what you do with CGI de-aging. It's... Which is always been the uh, thing in these last two with the, the ghost of uh, Skeet Ulrich. Leave it in the fifth one. It was fun for a little bit. But again, like, how does she know what he looks like? Yeah, it wouldn't make any sense. Why is he wearing you know, the exact same white shirt T-shirt? Yeah, that he... she wouldn't know that he was stabbed there. It's fan service. She wouldn't know that. She wouldn't know what he looks like. They wouldn't have stills from the movie because it wasn't a movie. If they had stills from a movie, if it was Luke Wilson on the screen doing that pose, I'd be like, all right, okay. Makes more sense, funny. doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, you know, and and it just, I don't know. I, I, I think you, you, you run the risk as, a, as an obsessed fan like I've got the the outfit, I was I was tempted to wear it for this thing, but I thought no, I won't do it. And we'll go with our um, our uh, mutual love for this. Yeah. Uh, but you know, there are people like Richie, you know, Richie in Scream Five and and Amber in in Scream Five that really, really buy into movie franchises so much that when they do not get what they want, they're toxic, and that's where. When you see the fallout from Scream Five online, and then you reassess, you can reassess every single movie in the whole Scream franchise, and there is reality in there. You know, we've already spoke about Scream One being um, based, you know, on uh, one night Kevin Williamson. He he was at home alone, and he was scared, uh, and he watched a documentary about the Gainesville Ripper, and then and then it was just like that was where we come from from there. The second one was um, obviously about sequels. The third one was about Hollywood. So there could have been something there that people can look at and go, Harvey Weinstein. The fourth one was about um, re- like the reboots and, and the Platinum Dunes S, but also about new technology and using that. The fifth one was all about requels and legacy sequels. And the sixth one was about a continuation of that, but um, evolving that story. So what would the seventh one be? And that's, that's where you can look back and you, you go, right, so the fifth one's about toxic fandom and how true is it? And what was the sixth one about? It was about a continuing uh, reboot and then, you know, reboot core or whatever you want to call it. And yeah. they're doing that over again. And I think, um, I think that the, the, the Scream franchise is one of those franchises that have so much substance to it that when we talk about a bad film, and I'm sure we'll get to our ranking very shortly to wrap it up. Uh, when we talk about a bad film, when you say a bad film is a, a low three out of five, in my opinion, that's quite a good standard to be bad at. Yeah, that's fair, yeah. Yeah, that, that kind of uh, wraps up the, the six films. We can move on to our uh, our individual rankings, I suppose. So I always let guests go first. So where, what have you got at number six? Number six is Scream Three. Um, I think I think if if people have been listening this far and got through this much, we've gone through nearly the whole of Scream and stuff. So this would be quite a long one. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'd say the Scream Three was fun, but nothing more. It was a disappointment. It really doesn't fit into any kind of um, tonality of any of the movies, um, and it goes a little bit too too hard and too soft at the same time. So I think it's definitely the lowest one. I'd say I'll give it a 3.1. It's fair. I'm in agreement. It's, I don't think it's a, a terrible film, 
but it's definitely for me the the weakest of the of the bunch. So agreement, I guess, on that one, which which is uh, ni- nice and easy. So that that can lead us into what have you got, number five? It's a, a bit of a weird one because I probably would stick screen five there. Okay. Um, so I probably stick screen five there, and I, I and. I did toss up with what my number four would be. Um, uh, we're actually, three, four, and five is very interchangeable at times. But I'd say that probably Screen 5 goes there. I think it was a fun fan service film. It's probably a 3.4, 3.5 out of, out of uh, five film. Um, and there were some great, great performances in it. I do think that Melissa Barrera was was pretty poor i do think that there was too much uh convenience in the plot even though it's a horror movie that's supposed to be fun um and i i didn't like some aspects of it but uh in tonality it was more scream than scream three that's fair um i've got uh i've got scream four in the, at my my fifth position um again I, I don't think it was bad i just feel like and this is going to be particularly now with effectively you've got the first three films that are going to work as a, a trilogy as well as the effectively what is going to be the last three films. And this one's just going to feel like a bit of an odd duck. feels like a little bit of a misfire um, for me. And that's why I've got that one in fifth myself. It'd be a bit like the Sean Connery Never Say Never Again or whatever it was. So. Kind of, yeah. yeah. It's just that odd one out a little bit. It doesn't really fit in with any of the others. Um, what it, so what, I get, it kind of feels like we know what you're going to have in uh, in fifth, uh, fourth position, sorry, in fourth yourself. So, um, I, I don't really... I, I, I did say that I, it's interchangeable and now thinking about it, I, I say I do put screen four, number four. Um, but it's it's tight with the number three. I'd say that screen four is is better than than screen five. So I'd probably put screen four as very slightly ahead of about three point six, three point seven out of five. Um, I enjoyed it. I thought the performances were good. It was a, a welcome step back in seriousness um, to uh, screen three. So anything would be better than screen three. And I also think it was much more better story and more linear than screen five so that is my number four um plus bruce willis right so that's <laughs> it's there fair um i've got scream six in there for this one um i just feel like I, it was still pretty enjoyable enough um i feel like the ending kind of a little bit too messy for me uh particularly I just don't think it paid off as well as it should do. But I think that the, albeit, you know, it probably, it almost certainly wasn't filmed mostly in New York, but the, the relocating it to New York was quite interesting. Um, but yeah, it, that, that's kind of why it elevates it a little bit above some of the others. But again, why it, it doesn't quite match up to all, all of them, shall I say. No, no I agree. So again, uh, in three for you. Is going to be Scream 6. Yeah. That's a high three for me, so probably three eight, three nine. I just found um, it better than five. I found the performances of Melissa Barrera much, much more enjoyable. Um, I found a lot of the storytelling to be a bit more interesting. Um, I'm not usually one for 
crowbarring LGBT um, characters in, but I liked that uh, in this film more than the first one. Um, you know, that aspect of Mindy's, you know, there was actually a relationship there. It felt like it and it felt sad when she died. Um, so I think there was a bit more depth to six than potentially four and, and five. So um, I, I, I hit that one at a 3.8, 3.9. Uh, very good. This is probably, I reckon, where I'm going to shock you, I think, a little bit. Because uh, third for me is Scream 2. Um, I, I think it's good, and I, I enjoy the sort of uh, film and a filmness of it. Uh, but I do just, it feels felt like it was a bit of a step down for me from the first one. Um, perhaps, if, I, I don't know. I don't know if it felt a little bit sillier i guess than the first one for me but um and that's kind of why i, I always had that bit of a bit of a step down but yeah obviously still i rate it pretty highly because third it's all right you're not gonna upset me with an opinion i'm, I'm 42 i'm not 22 i don't <laughs> need to go and attack you for it well you are my guest at least so i feel like i should uh, <laughs> preface it with that but yeah so that's that's why i've got that in in at third so uh second for you second is the original screen and I'll say that's, you know, to get a 4.5 or 4.6 out of 5 is getting close to being a perfect movie. That's reserved for the Shawshank Redemption, so nothing goes past that in my line. I've got tattoos for that. Um, but, uh, you know, Scream changed my life in ways that it didn't change it in the longevity, but, you know, it changed my direction. It changed what I thought could be accepted. I was growing up not not being told what to do, but... You know, my way of life would have been massively different if I hadn't have discovered Scream, which sounds like a bit of a, you know, it's only a, a hundred minute horror movie, but um, I wouldn't have done film and media. I wouldn't have realized that there are other jobs out there other than office work. I love my mum my and I love my brother to pieces, but they were just doing office work. My dad was a salesman and like I grew up in that environment. And so everyone wanted to get office jobs or work in London. And to me at that point, it was just like, that's not going to fulfill me in any way, shape or form. And so Scream itself, because it opened my eyes up to what could be achieved. I was just coming out of my GCSEs. It was 1996. I was doing my A-levels. And uh, so my first year at A-levels, I was in an 18 film going to watch it. That's probably all went so much because I was underage to watch it. And it was just the memory of watching Scream that probably puts it so far up there. Watching it back now, there's some shonky bits, but to be fair, I, I this is where we're going to fall out over your number three. But you know, it's it it's a low budget version of two. That's how I see it. But it was so genuine and so so original for me at that time that it didn't seem like it was ripping off the films that it was ripping off. You know, it was actually making a point of homaging what I grew up believing to be brilliant movies that I sneakily put my TV on in my room to watch at 11 o'clock on channel four. And it was in black and white or whatever. And the American wealth in London's the evil deads, you know, the exorcist and, you know, just the little touches of soundtrack that's in the movie, like don't fear the reaper, even though it's a cover you've, go back to Halloween, Jamie Lee references, uh, you know, um, just loads of different parts of that. And obviously the names as well that are involved in it just kind of 
you know, it, it it was interesting. It was the first time a film, apart from the Shawshank Redemption, that actually linked into what I really, really liked, which was horror movies. It moved me. And I just went, Do you know what? Like, there's more to life than sitting in an office. And no offence to anyone who sits in an office, but that isn't me. And so to be 100% genuine as a person now, I don't think I would have been if Scream hadn't have been released. Yeah. Um, I, I won't take offence either as someone who works in an office all day. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no, I'm just messing. Yeah, yeah. You know, I know you're messing around, but the, the, there are people that, that they need a trigger, right, to, to do what they want to do and or at least change, take a different path. And the fact that a movie did that, like if I could have told Wes Craven that his movie changed my life, I'm sure as a creator and as an, an artist, he would have been quite humbled about that. Yeah, I, yeah definitely. You know, and I think Alex Winter, when I went to see him at the Prince Charles Cinema, when um, he did a sign-in and I said, look, I'm not going to stand here and photo this and photo that. I just, I want to tell you that like, I still watch the movie it's amazing you're in it. Bill and Ted's awesome as well. You know, you make a massive difference. So just, you know, you've made that mark on the world. I'd had a couple of pruddies in the Hems in, in London, but, you know, it it's it's something that kind of like what we lose with art and sport. And we're obviously big film lovers and we love sport. And you, you don't realise how that impacts you, uh, how you are. Like... There, there are probably, maybe it's you, but there'll be people that I know who support Leighton Orient and work in an office, but they work in the office so they can go and watch Leighton Orient on a Saturday. Yeah. And they can go and watch Leighton Orient on a Tuesday. It gives them a malleability to be able to follow their team 46 times in a season. So they, they do that thing for that purpose, which they love, which is great. No problem with that. I, I, you know, and, and I'd never judge anyone for doing any job. Um, but I, it, it just really it really affected me and you know some people talk about oh i heard vivaldi's four seasons or you know i once saw the mona lisa at the louvre and and, and it, it changed my perspective on how you know this was mine this was my one this is i love movies i didn't like books yeah so movies were my stories yeah that's fair um I feel like I'm, I'm, I've got, I'm moving on to my number two and I haven't got anything quite as emotionally attached to this one. But um, my, my number two was, was Scream 5. I, I like it, I think it's fair to say, quite a bit more than you did. Um, I think it was just very much the, the, the nostalgia part works on me. And perhaps, you know, in, in years to come, I will I'll rewatch this again and it maybe won't work as well for me. You know, all the, the little name drops of, you know, being into elevated horror and stuff like that. You know, it, th- it throws around Hereditary and, and The Babadook and films like that that I've recently seen or, you know, over the last five, ten years or whatever and really enjoyed them. And, and it's more that, rage, though, isn't it? I mean, maybe that's, that's it, yeah. So, like, when I, I, I went to the cinema to watch Scream and you discovered Scream later on, like, on streaming or on a DVD. And, you know, it's what they say about The Phantom Menace. Uh, and the original, the, the prequel trilogy. Possibly, yeah. Kids, they love the prequel trilogy because they grew up watching that. And so you always have that kind of divide. So I understand why Screen 5 is up there for you because, I mean, if you're, th- you're 10 years younger than me, you would have been 22 when uh, Screen 4 came out. Yes, yeah, something like that. 
you know, that that kind of string five is like your callback. Yes, effectively, yeah. It's like what I have with Scream. So, like, that's... I, I, I totally get why. Yeah, I totally get why. Um, but then I guess people can kind of process of elimination of what we've both got at our number ones. Oh, I, I'm, I'm there with Scream too. I mean, like, it's, you know, watching it now is just, there's so many things in that movie that if you watched it first time, you'll never even think about. And now you watch it, even this scene here, you've got Mickey there with the with the camera, but you've also got Joel the cameraman with the camera. So when it comes to the camera footage, you're like thinking, who's got the camera footage? You know, and, and you know, you've got Derek, you've got Cotton, all of these characters all in one place. And you're like, well, what, who's it going to be? It was a whodunit. It was a great movie. Um, and like I say, apart from the 10 minutes of David Warner, again, just dropping in, just a, a massive horror icon from The Omen and, you know, you get his head sliced off by a glass uh, window sheet, you know, just, um, and, you know, how do you know my, how, how do you know my, uh, I can't remember the cure. I used to, I used to remember this quote as down and that, how do you know my, my boyish, whatever it is, is, isn't just a subtle form of manipulation. Then therefore lowering people's expectations to enable me to successfully maneuver in any given situation. Is always one that I've used, and it was a chat line which didn't didn't ever work. <laughs> but you know, it, you know, Screen Two was just you watch this, and and it's um, the, the the production values are, are better. They're on an external set for the majority. It's not just one. Uh, like in Scream, there was just like one, 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 and then you've done the three acts. In this, there was like the, the dorms, the frat houses, the parties. The Greek letters, the the singing, the fun. David Arquette and and uh, Courtney Cox are now an item, so they you, you can see that in the way that she looks at him. There's that hidden deep deeper layer in it. Her hair is amazing in this, uh, which you know, which is why Screen Free really rocks me a bit when her hair comes out. Um, and obviously the death of Jamie Kennedy was the, the, you know, Randy Meeks dying in this movie really. The big gut punch for it. Really killed me, man. Like it, I was in the cinema, my mate Bugsy, who we were really into the screen films and we watched all the horror movies. He turned around to me and he just, he just, he, he was just like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm absolutely gutted. Like this has done me. This is, this is like a culmination of two films that's got to this point, but the, the writing and the acting of this character that, you don't expect to really kind of affect you. And it happened in five with, with Dewey dying, you know, it's you spend time with these people and you associate yourself with these people. And then when they go or they die, you're like, actually that's, that's really bloody sad. And I don't know why. And that's what good art does. You know, there, there is the silliness of it. There's the, the expose of college life um, and how basic it is, but, you know, I I was a big Buffy fan at the time as well, and Sarah Michelle Gellar being in it. Yeah, you know, I loved it, and I still love it, and I'll probably, you know, rewind it and watch the rest of it uh, all the way through again. But um, yeah, I I just uh, I love Scream too, and I think I I don't do it to be a shock jock. There's a lot of Scream fans that like to call me out on uh, on on putting Scream two above the original, but 
you know, sometimes your second girlfriend's better than the first, right? So <laughs> that's a very uh, shrewd point, I suppose. Yeah. Um, I, like I say, I've, I've got the original in there for me. Um, I think that the original is, it was such a revelation, especially at the time for me of where I was when, you know, first I saw it was just, it was so different. Um, now that was granted. I hadn't seen new nightmare or anything like that before it, but, uh, but yeah. And I still think that it's just very bold and very, uh, it was just such a, uh, different stance to take and I think artistically it was it was sort of singular in that way at, at that point as well so yeah that's that's kind of why I always gravitate to that first one and why I still hold it up I think it's a gateway drug the first one's a gateway drug perhaps because, yeah because like for me it was a it was kind of like when I, I've said it before I, it, it kind of made me reminisce about what I've watched when I was a kid so there was that drug for me and you know, obviously, I've said about what it, it affected me personally. But you, you would have watched. It came out in '96. You were 22 in 2011. You were, you know, early teens, late. You know, just around. I, I'm not going to do the maths. <laughs> yeah. You know, you, you wouldn't have been. You were seven or eight. Um, so you wouldn't have seen it. Yeah. So to, to to then watch that later on would then kind of like, oh, what's it referencing? What's it referencing? You know, oh, Wes Craven, I really enjoyed that film. I'll watch some Wes Craven films. And then you discover The Serpent and the Rainbow and People Under the Stairs and Shocker and uh, Deadly Blessing and, and Last House on the Left and Hills of Eyes and Hills of Eyes 2. And, and then you suddenly start watching these movies and you're like, Jesus, he did a bit. He did a bit in body bags with with John Carpenter. Oh, John Carpenter! I'll watch Halloween, and then you watch Halloween because it's been noticed. And then you watch the Halloween series. Very much, and yeah, watch, yeah, yeah. You know, then you go to Screen Four, and it, all of these films they reference. You go, oh, Peeping Tom. You know, I watched the nineteen sixty Peeping Tom. So I, th- I think as as a film, look, it's always a toss up. Scream and Scream Two. There's there's like a, people would argue that my reasoning for Scream Two being number one isn't as strong as Scream being number two. But it's only how you I, feel, isn't it? At the end of the day, 100%. that's why I don't fall out with it. Yeah, exactly. You know, and 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 that's that's the thing. Like, and we go back to toxic fandom in Screen Five. Like the conversation we've just had about our top six would have been, you know, if toxic fandom was involved in this, and you know, hopefully you haven't got any toxic fans. That some of them would be telling me to die. It'd be like, you know, Scream's number one. No one else could be number one. That's got to be number one. It's not number one. I want it to be number one. It's fact. It's opinion. It's my opinion. It's fact. You know, there's no, it's got to be that way. You know, Messi and Ronaldo, they're they're the best footballers. No, Xavi and Iniesta were the two, two of the greatest players to play in midfield. But Iniesta was the, uh, you know, the greatest player I've ever seen. A magician. The only player to be marked by four people in a CONCACAF, Confederations Gold Cup final, and that's why Brazil won four 0 because you killed a master. Iniesta's still playing. He's a, he's an absolute magician. Messi's a pretender. Ronaldo's a bully. You know, you 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 have opinion, and and as long as you can back it up with why you like it, you know. That's it. At the end uh, of the day, yeah. You know, say screen five is number two. I say screen five is number five for me. It doesn't mean that I'm right or you're right. It, it's right for you and it's right for me you know it doesn't that's why these podcasts that we do for football and why doing this tonight it's been so enjoyable for for nigh on two hours is that it's something that you're passionate about and if people want to listen to it they're likely to be passionate about it as well 
I'd like to think that people that listen to this, something you said or I've said tonight, that they go away and go, I'll oh, look into that. Yeah. Or I try and call bullshit on it and go, well, that's not true. And you go, all oh, right, it actually is. You know? So anyone listening to this, just there's a book that was about Wes Craven's work called Screams and Nightmares. Get it? It's brilliant. Just get, get that book and it, it will tell you all about all of those movies and what happened on it. It's an absolutely brilliant book. So lots of pictures too, just in case you don't read too much. I'm certainly hoping between the two of us that, you know, people listening to this have come away with at least something that they've, they've got recommended to them. Or yeah. enjoyment would be, wouldn't it? Or at least if they've never seen the films and they've listened to it. Exactly, watching, yeah, yeah. Sorry, you are listening and now you know all the killers in all of the films, but, you know. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> uh, well, thanks for thanks for coming on. Um, I, I'll let you uh, give any any plugs for any uh, social media or any, you know, your podcast or anything like that. Well, if anyone's listening to this and they want to listen to some League One football podcasts, sorry about one then. Um, I'm sure you'll come back again because you are a yo-yo club. You will come back up to League One in the Championship, which is something that, being where you are, and this is a, this is actually a a bit of praise. You know, I lived in Sandbach and around the Staffordshire area, Cheshire, you know, Cheshire area, for a few years. So I've got a little bit of a soft spot for for Crew and and Sandbach area. But it's a town, isn't it? It's it's a town, a collective town, and you'll you'll always be League Two Championship. You'll always have little spurts. You've got great talent around there. It's a catchment area. People who don't go and play for Stoke will play for Port Vale or Crew. You you're gonna have you're gonna have that. So, um, but yeah. So being a Leighton Orient fan, League One, we're looking forward to it. And uh, the Lowdown Podcast um, at underscore lo podcast uh, on Twitter. If you want to listen to that, we we talk properly about football. We we're not a radio show. We're not a we're not a read everyone's tweets stuff out, and that's not negatives on anyone else. But we we just tell the truth as it is. Sometimes it can get a bit boisterous, but not too much swearing. I probably swore more in this than I have in in the podcast. But um, yeah, I, I I enjoyed. I've listened to a couple of episodes of yours last year, and I was doing the research um, before we we spoke, and uh, and obviously like um, the games against Crew because. You know, essentially, I think the crew game in the FA Cup may have won us the league. So, one way of looking at it, I suppose. But yes, yeah. Well, actually, thanks for thanks for coming on. Yeah, no, it's been a pleasure. It has actually been uh, a massive pleasure. I'm absolutely knackered from work, and uh, and I'm going on holiday tomorrow. But um, it's uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. I love talking about movies. You know, maybe we can get together and talk about a decade or potentially other films sometime soon. And I'd love to do that. Yeah, um, so people can find me uh, all the usual places. It's Aaron Lewis thirty three on Twitter, and then uh, Last Jedi on the left on Letterboxd, and Last Jedi on the left on Instagram. Uh, but until the next episode, thanks for listening and goodbye. <laughs>